Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hello everybody and welcome to a special programme from the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. I'm John Hindorf and let me be one of the first to wish you a very happy 2019. And we're going to start uh, this new calendar year with a look back at the 2018 Formula One World Championships. And of course, to help me do that, we need our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Annual hooray and a happy new year hooray as well, John and everyone who's listening to this show whenever you're listening. If you're listening in mid-March, it's still a happy new year to you. Well, yes, exactly. That's a, that's a very good point. Well made. Beautifully, beautifully presented. Um, I'll now turn you back up a little bit because I was quite worried about how loud your hooray might actually be. Oh, you know. Well, cooped yes. Up. Cooped up till New Year. What do you expect? Um, let's uh, let's crack on. Could it, it's a slightly different format today. We'll still go through oh, go the on, teams and the, and the drivers. Um, yep. But I, I, I want to... Uh, I want to speak about some of the races as well, and we'll, we'll go through that first. But even before we get into that, any major changes before the start of the 2018 season that we thought might affect what was going on? I know it's a long time to cast your mind back, but uh, but what do you reckon? Well, of course, there was there was two changes, uh, major changes. Uh, the most major and the most visible was the introduction of the halo uh, and how that would affect things. Um, and the second change that uh, came into play in the season was the uh, another new complete set of, of Pirelli tyres and the, introdu- oh, the yes. introduction of the Hyper Soft uh, and the Super Hard, though we never use the Super Hard in the end of the day. Okay. Uh, but those light purple Hyper Soft played um, an interesting um, role in the strategy of the races. Uh, and yeah, the idea was they were going to get everything went a, bit a step softer or a step and a half softer, and it was going to make lots more pit stops and. I'm not giving anything away. That didn't really work. No. <laughs> and, and the Pirelli tyres, I mean, you know, I've been critical of Pirelli tyres, as have many other people of the Pirelli tyre company in, in terms of of uh, tyres in other forms of racing. But actually, the softer their tyres got, it didn't seem to make that much difference to the longevity of them and the performance level of them. So it, that was a regulation yeah, that didn't we... really work. Yeah, well, the problem was, and I think, uh, I mean, this is, this is, yeah, the, 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 and the tyres, unfortunately, has become the major talking point. I mean, as the, um, and we'll talk about this. Obviously, the engines have, have, have got more equal, or th- two of them got very equal, and the other two are, are, are lagging. But the idea behind the Pirelli tyre changes was to have these softer compounds, uh, which would enable, um, would force teams to run. Um, multiple stops more often yes um because obviously even you know we were getting a lot of one-stop strategies and that isn't you know supposedly good for the show and 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 the reason being that the tires were at this point too durable or the cars were built to be able to use utilize the tires so they went so the thing to remember is even a tire with the same name so the 2017 ultra soft compared to the 2018 ultra soft the fact is that 2018 tire was softer anyway yeah. And then they bought a whole other raft of software tyres in. So, theoretically, and, I, and obviously without being a Pirelli engineer, you can never actually say for certain, they were one and a half steps 
um, lighter when you got to the, right. the hypersoft and everything else was half a step on. Uh, so the idea would be that would produce lots and lots and lots more stops. Now, it didn't work, John, as you know, and, and, and there was two reasons for that. The first reason was that the top three teams had such an advantage over the rest of the teams that they were able to use the second hardest or the middle of the three chosen compounds in qualifying uh, a lot of the times. So they didn't have to start on the chewing gum tyres. Uh, they could start one one um, uh, compound harder. And the other issue was that they found that because track position is so important in modern F1, that, that whilst the two-stopper might be theoretically quicker by seven, eight, nine, ten seconds, it actually wasn't when you took into account you'd be behind someone. So the one-stopper with the rather ridiculous opening section where everyone was doing 13 seconds a lap or so or 12 seconds a lap slower than qualifying yeah. became the quickest actual manageable way to do a race which caused well the complete you know it's the law of unintended consequences the con- yeah we did get some great qualifying on those uh, hyper soft tires and fantastically fast times and blistering runs and then the, the race suffered badly because of it and uh, um you know the the, the move- moving into next year there's some slight changes to come and and, and of course the other thing so just to hop about the other thing of course about tires is, is what this um, hop down the, the the compounds found is we suddenly saw the return of blistering issue which we hadn't yes. really seen blistering became a big thing and of course we had the other con- tyre issue where for three of the races they were so worried about blistering uh, that was Spain Britain and ooh, I think it was Paul Ricard uh, they actually had produced a thinner tread to prevent blistering because blistering is caused right. by overheating of the tread and the tread melts effectively boils on the carcass so we're making the tread th- it, that can release more heat. So we had those three races where they had a thinner tread and we didn't get the blistering. Um, and then the, a lot of the races, they had a lot of blistering. And then my understanding is for next year, every single uh, race will be with us. All the tyres from Prairie will have that thinner tread. Oh. It's only about, about five-eighths of a millimetre, but that will present, reduce the chance of blistering, which is odd because the blistering was one of the things that produced extra pit stops. But, you know, yeah, true. Uh, it's also quite dangerous. So. We also yeah, saw... as Sorry, uh, one of the things that you mentioned there struck the chord with me that the the top teams had uh, such an advantage in uh, in performance over the middle and the back of the field that actually we saw quite a lot of tyre management and and as you mentioned the, the the times were off a bit. There were times that I'm looking at Formula One and looking at it with my endurance head on and going, oh, that's actually quite clever what they're doing now. They're managing that tyre. They're pushing themselves further through the race. Uh, they're giving the opening up a tactical window. Uh, and, and, and from a an endurance enthusiast point of view, I actually saw quite a lot of interesting tactical calls this year. I, you know, I think it's, it's that's a really good point, John, because it, it, it you sit there and I, I'm, I'm a, I am the ultimate, you know, anorak when it comes to racing we have sat down and we have chatted about races which i've said i really really enjoyed you said they were a snore fest and i've sat back and thought well probably they were actually but i really enjoyed them because of yeah. the the nuances and, and the tactics and you know i haven't it doesn't bother me that they're going 12 seconds slower because that's all part of the game but it's not what it's not what they want to present as, no. as the pinnacle of, of, of motorsport. And, you know, they've got a lot of people who are very clever who work out the fastest way or the most effective way, in fact, to go around a circuit in, or a, a race. And that's what it turned out to be. And so they were running a long way behind their maximum. Um, you know, and, and it's a difficult. The, the point is that as Michelin have, have proven, it is not difficult to be able to build a tyre that can handle the performance and downforce that an F1 car has yep. for three hours and 15 minutes and be 
you know, a degradation, what, a second and a half over those three hours and 15 minutes? So negligible. On an eight and yeah. a half mile lap at Le Mans. You know, negligible. Exactly. So, so we all know that building a performance tyre is very, very simple. Oh, sorry, is very, very possible. It's achievable, the pro- yes. The problem is that Pirelli have to, have to build a limit. They are, their, their job is to build a tyre with limitations. Their job is to build a tyre that does that, that degrades ridiculously quickly their job is to is it, that is what they've been told to do um and i am you know coming to them to much more to the, to the feeling now that what we ought to do and i think would be best for the show um is is to change the whole concept and you go out you have absolutely blistering quick tires but this, it's a two-stop race. It's mandatory two stops. And there's two really? pit stop windows, quite wide windows, because they want stops. You know, they don't want to set them off and go because that's not what they feel they should have in an hour and a half race. So you just say, right, we'll have two, we'll have two mandatory pit stops. And it would throw up an awful lot of interesting tactics if we got... But hasn't worked in DTM, if you, if, that, if got... Yeah, but DTM's an hour-long race. Right. And it's, it's you know... And, well, we, I think... To be honest, if they want to have people going flat out, the only way drivers can go flat out is if they haven't got to worry about, you know, they haven't got to worry about the tyres. And they're not going to worry about the tyres if they know they've got to change them and the tyres can run at maximum capacity for a third of a race. Yeah. So, yeah, and the people say, oh, we're going to get... Well, it's still going to be plenty of, of, of plus and minus. If there's a virtual safety car or a safety car, you know, do you come in then? Is it, does it work best? You know? So there's plenty of work that can be done. There is no perfect solution because the perfect solution, no. John, is stick on the tyres... You know something, you know a Pirelli Michelin burst tire, which is going to be blisteringly fast, not quite hyper soft fast, but blisteringly fast for the whole ninety minutes and get to the end, and that's yeah, it. Yeah. So which is achievable, option... but that means you wouldn't have any pit stops. Yeah, but the anyway. So then they're, 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 cause it, and of course the other thing is that the tire company currently Pirelli and obviously mm. going to be renewed as Pirelli, despite Hanker yeah. putting a, an inordinately yeah. large amount of money on the table uh, for the. The, which I think was a bit of a shock because the Pirelli guys that I spoke to uh, or the contact around Pirelli that I spoke to said when they heard the kinds of money that Hancock were talking about, they were like, well, okay, on you go. Um, but the problem if you just do no pit stops is you don't really talk about the tyres, do you? No, and of course the other option to, to mandate pit stops is to bring back refuelling, but that's a massively retrograde step uh, on, on both cost and safety levels. Yeah. Um, so you know you, that would obviously make refuel. That would make pit stops happen. You had to refuel because it's just it's you know, the weight of the fuel. It's so much of an advantage to run lighter and then change. So um, yeah, I think I mean, what that, you should have to do is run uh, at least uh, a certain amount of the laps of the race. Let's say five laps of the race at various stages. You've got to run five laps of the race on uh, EV power only, but you are allowed to charge that up in the pit lane so that you could come in and charge it up a bit in the pits and then send it out. That would get people in the pit. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Well, yeah, I mean, this, this is the quandary. I mean, they're, they're, they're working on the whole thing. Yeah, but anyway, so that was that. So there, so that was right. the, the tyres were the main change, and the other change was the halo, which um, either saved someone's uh, um, potential injury with uh, Charles, Charles Leclerc, wasn't it, in Belgium, in Belgium or caused, yeah. a, caused a potential disaster that didn't happen with Nico Hulkenberg in Abu Dhabi, and you have to, and it's, you know... Well, it's, it's another imperfect solution, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. Like you've, you've talked exactly. about that, but it's here to stay. It's not going to go anywhere. Uh, that's Nick exactly. Damon. He's our Formula One correspondent. You're listening to our look back on the FIA Formula One World Championship for 2018. Here we are on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. I'm John Heindhoff. I'm um, going to rattle through. Now, 
this is a bit different. Normally, we just have the table of of points for the teams and work from the bottom <laughs> yep. up. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to rattle through the races of the year. Oh, okay, go um, on. <laughs> and just remind you of of winners and and how the the yep. the season progressed. Sure. What I don't want to do is get. I still want to talk about the teams, and that will that will be the major part of the mm-hmm. program. So let's let's not necessarily get into the teams and drivers and what you think of that because that will come later but let's have a, let's have a look at the world championship season which started on the 25th of march in terms of the racing uh 2018 down in australia and it was a good start to the season in uh, two of the shorter races uh, of the year in terms of time uh, in australia and bahrain sebastian vettel kicks it off with a couple of victories and mm-hmm. the, the press were delighted by this. This was the dawn of the new era that they'd been predicting. <laughs> uh, you and I can talk about, and, and, and I have no doubt we will disagree, about who had the best car, better car at various points of the season and overall. But it was actually a very good start to the season in terms of the press, in terms of public interest, because Vettel got off to an absolute flyer. Yeah, and the thing to remember is, John, is that Mercedes had been pretty imperious in testing. They had. Um, so we came here with, with thoughts that it was going to be, you know, almost back to 200, 2014 again, the first year of the hybrids. Um, and, of course, it, it looked that way because, uh, you know, Lewis put in a great qualifier in Australia. Uh, and then, of course, it all melted away um, with a mistake or a bad luck. I was say, it wasn't a mistake, it was more bad luck, actually, when the, for the time of a virtual safety car Correct. off, both the horses wheels fell off uh which let Fettel get a, a tactical advantage and um therefore getting the lead and the lead that he wasn't really challenged by and win the first race the second race in Bahrain um from memory I think Lewis had a, a gearbox um penalty which put him back a bit he then had an accident with Verstappen uh, which Verstappen came off worse at and it ended up being a kind of the, the chase was on from um and you remember can, can, um, and of course the Ferrari couldn't stop a second time or decided not to after Raikkonen ran over, accidentally ran over his mechanic and broke his leg. Oh, yeah. So we had Vest running very, very long on his, uh, on his stop and uh, Valtteri Bottas trying to catch him up. And, and the key thing was really from that race was um, A, Lewis was out of sorts because um, of the penalty and, and, and but still managed to get a third. But Bottas, did he, the question was, did he try hard enough or to go fast enough to get past Fettel, who did do a very, very good job yes, of managing his tyres and, and kicked off with two wins. So, yeah, it was back-to-back wins. Um, and, and it was, uh, I think at that point, I would go, it was on as even yeah. on who had the best car. And, and, when, <laughs> and when we get to China in April, 15th of April, for the Formula One event in, in China, um, it, it's even more good news for Liberty and Formula One because Danny Rick, Daniel, Daniel Ricciardo and Red Bull Racing Tag Heuer, to give them their full name, well uh, done. Whips, whips through to take the victory. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's not just one team or two teams we're talking about, but there's a potential third contender. Well, yeah, I mean, again, another race which was um, all very straightforward until safety cars and yeah. problems. This one, mainly, I think, I think the safety car was actually caused by an issue with was it called by Verstappen? No, caused by the two sat. No, the two Toro Rosses coming together caused the safety car. Oh yes. And uh, it, the key element that was Verstappen was uh, then there was a, a clever bit of tire um, work by. Uh, Red Bull, they stacked both their drivers and changed tyres and a huge advantage of them. So then started coming back through the field. In coming back through the field, uh, Danny Rick did a perfect job, overtook everyone. You know, got, he got a lot of plaudits for overtaking people and that was well done. But in reality, he had a massive advantage on the tyres. Yes, he did. And then 
He Staffan still was he... pretty impressive, in fairness. He and he was no, very no. decisive. One thing you can never say about Danny Rick is, um, you know, y- you're never going to be unsure if he's going for an overtake. That is true. Uh, and he threw it. He sent it, didn't he? Way. I think the whole, how I, I, I lit the stamp and sent it was where that kind of phrase came from. Uh, right. I do think, of course, at the back of the behind him of course uh, Max Verstappen um, was having his had a very poor start of the season uh, larruped into Fettel uh, damaged Fettel's car and Fettel had therefore rather than finishing probably as he should have done second or third ended up seventh um, Bottas again was second and he was a bit unlucky not because he would have probably actually have won that race had it not been ifs and buts had it not been for the safety car and uh, Lewis again not not brilliant I think he ended up fourth or fifth so you know it was a case with three races in him and Mercedes hadn't won one yet which was quite impressive yeah I, so the end of April the third race in April uh, that we had Bahrain 8th of April China 15th 29th of April we rocked up at Azerbaijan or at least the Formula 1 circus did and normal service was resumed as Lewis Hamilton took the first of a couple <laughs> of races because he won at uh, Circuit de Catalunya in Spain as was and it's all back on again well, yeah, I mean, of course, the, the Azerbaijan race in itself was a, you know, a cracker. I mean, we again, we had um, instant to plenty. Uh, you know, we had the phantom accident when uh, under the safety car, Roman Grosjean accused Marcus Ericsson of hitting him, even though he's in a different postcode. Um, he also started badly. We had the two Red Bulls coming together it, by being ridiculously over aggressive. And, you know, it, that was to me was poor management on the pit wall to, yeah, that to happen. Very poor. Um, and then, of course, you had it after that safety car caused by that. Um, Sebastian, um, who was looking quite in control, locked up in an attempt to go for the lead straight away from Bottas. He got back ahead during the pit stops. Um, and he locked up and flat by the tyre, ended up dropping to fourth. And Bottas was looking like he was going to win to back up a couple of second places. And he went over the following lap after the restart. He went over some debris, I think, from a Magnussen accident. And uh, got a very, very unlucky um, rear puncture. And Hamilton just... <laughs> literally lucked into the win um, and was, was magnanimous enough to admit he lucked into the win yeah the, you know the 25 points 25 points and it was a, it was a very very exciting very interesting um, and almost a, almost a microcosm of how the race was going to the season was going to going to run out um, of the season I mean Spain relatively it's yeah, more simple um, a win for Lewis I'm, I think this I'm, I'm wondering if I'm getting um race replicate I think this is a race where Lewis went up the inside of um, of, of, of Fettel for the lead uh, towards the end so it was a, a good win so two wins for Lewis two wins for uh, Mercedes and yeah it was again it was all pretty honours even you know between, between certainly between Ferrari and uh, Mercedes you didn't really know when he got to a weekend who was going to be the fastest uh, after those first you know nearly half dozen races we went off to the oddity that is Monte Carlo and Monaco at the end of May, a popular win for Danny Rick, who can sit, continued his his uh, good run uh, of form. And I never know what to make of uh, of Monaco, um, but you, you can't deny that that uh, Ricciardo did a good job. Red Bull Racing Tag Heuer did a good job, and as I say, popular, very popular, uh, very popular victory. And and actually, not the longest race of the year either, Monaco this year. Come to that mm. later. Yeah, but then you know the, the interesting about him about that race was that he won it despite losing his uh, his ERS or one yes. of his electrical uh, circuits because he but you know 
if you're ahead in Monaco and you haven't got to stop, you can be 80 horsepower down. They're not going to get past you. So the one race where you could have a failure like that, um, he, he made the most of it. And of course, it was the also it was the nadir of his teammate season, um, Verstappen, oh, yes. who, who, who should have been because uh, the Red Bulls were far and away the best car around Monaco. He should have been You've on the got front. Got the most downforce, remember? And yeah, I have. And, and, he, and the power doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but he obviously he 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 absolutely um, whacked it against the barriers in the final free practice. And they couldn't rebuild the car in time properly for qualifying, so he ended up down the back and had to run his way through the, the field, which isn't very particularly efficient. So, uh, yeah, Danny Rick won. I think it was Ferrari second and third, and the Mercedes uh, a little bit further back. In June, but, there was a race either side of Le Mans. The one before Le Mans was the 10th of June in Canada, and for the first time in five races, it was a Ferrari. And as far as Ferrari were concerned, it was the right Ferrari because it was Sebastian Vettel who took the victory. Yeah. And that would, I think this was a race that probably would have worried Mercedes at the time because um, Canada has been their happy hunting ground. Canada, Canada has been their happy hunting ground for the last few years with the car, and they got well beaten. Uh, Lewis is fifth, um, Sebastian won, and, and never looked much like it wasn't going to be a Ferrari benefit. So that was all going particularly well. Then we went to uh, Paul Ricard, uh, back yes. to Paul Ricard after how many years it was on the amazingly um, stripy circuit, which is much more to me of a an eye test than the circuit from a distance. Uh, and we had the second of, of well, well. well I- I saw nothing of that race, and I I can't remember why, because as I say, it was the weekend after Le Mans, but I I think I must have been travelling to something else. Oh, I know, I was going to Pikes Peak, wasn't I? Ah, I was going to Pikes Peak, I was in the midst of my dad being poorly, and and I have no recollection of France at all. I remember reading about the problems for the spectators. Oh, gosh, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, and yeah, I think there are still people there. That, that, that's two-hour program itself. Yeah. There are yeah. still people I mean, waiting that, that, to that. get out of Car Park D. Um, mm. Lewis Hamilton won the race uh, at yeah. Reed and Card. He, 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 he started on pole and he won the race and... Um, he did a, a very good job. Uh, Fettel was in third on the grid, a bit too enthusiastic, and hit Bottas on the third mm-hmm. corner and ruined both their races. And that was, again, one this time with this slightly thinner tyre. Lewis never under any threat. Uh Picked up his third win of the season. Uh, back-to-back races, uh, 24th of July. Uh, yes, there was the triple, of course. That's right. So Austria and Red Bull were back in form, but this time it was Max Verstappen. Well, of course, we had a, a I don't know whether a rarity or possibly this might even be a unique situation within uh, the turbo hybrid era. And we lost both Mercedes to mechanical issues. We lost yes. them both before they hit each other. But this is the first time we'd lost them both um, to mechanical problems. A hydraulic failure for Valtteri Bottas on about lap 13, which completely ruined uh, the strategy of um, the team. And they, they they got it completely wrong, Mercedes. And, and everyone effect- got net, net got past Lewis by stopping uh, under the... Uh, the uh, virtual safety car when he didn't but it didn't matter in the end because even when he was trundling around looking at the car not going very well in fourth he had a fuel pump failure he didn't make the end anyway mm. so big swing but of course prior to that Fettel had made a mistake in qualifying yes. and had ended up um, getting a three pace p- uh, place penalty for I think impeding cars signs I think it was and so he wasn't the person who was there to inherit it it was it was the uh, young Dutchman Max Verstappen and, and Danny Rick would have done well but he broke down um, mm. during the race and really thing to point out after Monaco he was never on the podium again such was his bad luck yes and a lot of and, that was mechanical issues the, oh, the yeah, amount yeah. of times we saw or heard on the television uh, saw smoke or a car moving slowly and if 
if it was a Red Bull racing car, then you went, oh, that'll be Danny Rick again. Or you heard, ah, and Ricardo's out. Yeah. I, I was a terrible, terrible yeah, after. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's something bad. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd try and touch on why they had such bad reliability right, yeah, yeah. team by team. But yeah, so that, the Austrian Grand Prix was a bit of a, an outlier, but great for uh, Ferrari because they picked up points. Not as many as they should have done um, against um, Mercedes. And we went to Silverstone and... I missed Lewis uh, Fever. Uh, uh, Lewis Fever. Lewis put on pole. It was already great. Everything was going really, really well. He slightly bogged down at the start mm. uh, and got punted by Kimi Reichel at the back of the field. And then we had um, another action-packed race with, a select, with two back-to-back safety cars towards the end. It was tyres against performance and uh, Fettel won in the end. And Lewis came through the field and ran old tyres and ended up second. So another really, really good race. Another win for Sebastian, who possibly rather um, um, inadvisedly, knowing how seasons can pan out, was a bit gloaty about winning in um, mm. Lewis's backyard and, uh, and Mercedes' backyard. So, you know, these things can come to bite you ah. when the next race is the German Grand Prix. Yeah. Yes, and, and in fact, the whole of the second half of the season. We'll get to that in a moment. Nick Damon is on the line uh, for this Formula One 2018 review here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels uh, with me, John Heintorf. So there we were in Great Britain. Uh, Vettel uh, has had a, a pretty decent start to yep. the, the season. Uh, yep. He's got the Not championship bad. lead. He's in the lead, yep. Uh, and... For the rest of the 11 races of the season, Lewis Hamilton wins eight of them. And uh, a Ferrari win two, but only one for Vettel. And Max Verstappen wins one. Now, yep. uh, it was such an... Ex- now, it, that wasn't quite the the break. The break came... Uh, uh, the summer no. break comes a little bit later. But you can pretty much split the season into well, two halves. You see, perhaps you can, but I, I actually think a better split is the summer break because these, these first two races, which um, Lewis won in Germany and Hungary, were a result of something, nothing to do with Ferrari or Mercedes. It was right. down to the fact that Lewis Hamilton is a better driver in the wet than other drivers are, yeah. than most other drivers are. And... In Germany, he started way back in 14th in the grid after a failure in, in, in qualifying. Um, not of his, mechanical failure, sorry. Uh, Vettel started on pole and romped away, no problem whatsoever, and was very happily... He got, there, was a slight, there was a slight issue with being, behind, being bulked a bit behind Raikkonen because they were on different strategies, and that was a mistake that Ferrari made. But anyway, uh, but the key point came when it started to rain, and lightly rain, not heavily rain, and everyone was on, everyone was on different strategies. And Lewis just basically kept the car on the island. was going five or six seconds faster than Vettel, even then, that wasn't that probably still would only got as far as second place, and then Vettel just threw it off the track. Yeah. Um, and I agree with what he said at the time, it was a small error with a big result. Yeah. but those small errors, um, you know, from first to nothing, so he's lost 25 points. He's also seen his main rival pick up seven, yeah, so it's a 32 point mistake, yeah. Uh, but it was in the wet, and you know, it was that is a thing, yeah. You look at you look at the well, we're coming to it. You look at the two drivers' talent talent pools and where they can go. And you say, what's particularly different? And you say, well, driving in the wet is one of the key differentiators between Hamilton and Vettel. You know, yeah. they both qualify well and everything else. And he won that. And then, of course, we got to Hungary again, where the Ferrari was the fastest car all the way through free practice. And then it rained for qualifying. Yeah. And suddenly, well, the Mercedes and the, and the drivers were able to get on uh, lock out the front row, and also work overnight and find something on the car handling to stay ahead in the track that's the second most difficult to overtake on. And so they won two races back to back where if they had been completely dry weekends, they probably wouldn't. Yeah. But of course they did. So 
it's that's the key point. So they they pick those two wins from having a better driver and perhaps a more flexible car as far as wet's concerned. And then we had uh, the break, uh, where we uh, and of course then we were off to Belgium, which actually. After the break, Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari came back pretty strongly, but we've seen in years gone by that Lewis Hamilton is the man to beat after the summer break. He comes back uh, particularly refreshed, and again, he did exactly the same. Wherever you divide the season, Nick, whether it's after Great Britain uh, or actually after the month off that that Formula One has, what you've got to say is that Hamilton in the second half of the season, whichever however yeah. you decide that, was a very focused driver. Now, you can say that some of the tracks were better for his Mercedes, but not all of them. Uh, and he just did a much better job when the chips were down and when it was the run to the end of the season. What surprised me was... Job. Sorry? No, so he did a better job, but also I think that the, the performance that uh, Ferrari found themselves in Belgium, actually ended up shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, I was going to say, that's because, exactly what I was going to say. Mercedes were suddenly seemed to be able to pinpoint a key issue they have within, within traction. Again, the Mercedes, Mercedes cars from whenever Mercedes stopped being brought, have had issues at the rear. I mean, obviously they have fantastic cars, but they have had issues at the rear um, with uh, either burning out the tyres or rear traction and everything else. And they seem to find it, finally sit down and work on it and begin to find a slight fix. And that carried the car forward. You know, the Belgian Grand Prix was a pretty much a two-horse race. Uh, Fettel v. Um, Ferrari, Mercedes, Fettel v. Hamilton and Fettel won. And Fettel won easily. I mean, all right, it won't sell it in the timing sheets, but he won easily, that one. Um, he, he won the two direct competitions which was in on the first lap he got him got him going up the up the hill and after the safety car he managed to yes. uh, force lewis to overbreak uh, and, and so it was a great victory for, for sebastian because we, we, we hang around being nasty around him a lot of the time that was a great victory when we moved Italy again the ferrari is the fastest car tactically yes. naive in qualifying and putting Very. it right in the head but you get into the race and suddenly actually in in contrast how we've seen before the better race car and certainly the better race driver is in the mercedes yeah. And he, he immediately attacked uh, Fettel. Fettel came off worse than he seems to do in most of the second half of the season. But any contact, that Friday never bounced off. It always spun round. So you kind of think Fettel's doing something in a contact or the way the, the car is harvesting automatically, where is pitching the car almost like a handbrake turn into a spin. So there's there a reason why those cars are go- his car is going round when it gets hit, because that's not what should happen every time. But of course, with so much brake by wire and so many things, which uh, a, a, an input... An input from the foot of a racing of an F1 racing driver no longer has a direct effect on what happens. No, no. the steering still does, but you hit brake. Is it? Are you actually braking? How much are you braking? What's brake by wire? What? Yeah, you know, hit the throttle. Does the throttle actually happen? No. So you know, you could say, is it a fault of his? Is it a fault of where the Ferrari is set up? They he span round in Italy, and then Lewis brilliantly hunted down uh, Raikkonen as Raikkonen's tyres went off, and a you know a big win in the backyard, and you know there was a great deal of joy on the face of yes, Mercedes for beating Ferrari in Italy mainly because Italy because, because Ferrari being a little bit arrogant in the UK you know it's, 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 it, these things come back to haunt you you've got to be really careful uh, when uh, September was another month that we had three Formula 1 Grand Prix uh, in mm-hmm. uh, in 2018 and the Singapore Grand Prix was in time terms the longest Grand Prix of the year mm-hmm. at a whopping 1 hour 51 minutes uh, 11.611 seconds 
as I remember off the top of my head. Brilliant. What's in your mind, John, sometimes amazes me. I, 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 you speak to my wife. She'd <laughs> yeah, agree, yeah, she'd agree with you. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading <laughs> that, obviously. Uh, it was uh, Singapore. So we had Italy, Singapore, Russia and Japan, where mm. Lewis was in his stride and clocked up those four victories. Was that... Was that the tide turning, or had the tide already turned, but we we hadn't really seen it? In terms of results, we saw it in those four off the belt for for Mercedes and for Lewis, but had the tide really already turned then, Nick? No, the tide tide turned um, in Italy. That's when the tide turned. Um, The the wins in Germany and Hungary were very important, but they were, you know, you could say they were rain-affected. And I would say... Up until the Belgian Grand Prix, you might disagree with me. Up until the Belgian Grand Prix, the Ferrari was the better car. I'll leave that hanging. In those previous 12 races. In Singapore, we went we, we went to the race, which uh, everyone admits is Mercedes' weakest event uh, outside of Monaco. And we got Lewis. He just just did the magic thing that magic did you just say do. we got and Lewis there. That's fantastic. Yeah, we got Lewis. Yeah. Because, no, you know, the great drivers, and he is one of the great drivers. You know, he is. Senna could do it. Prost could do it. Even Mansell could do it in, in, in the British Grand Prix. You know, it, it, they can just do something that, isn't, that shouldn't be possible. Uh, and his qualifying that wasn't possible, and he did it. Oh, that was And then he ran the race... And he then ran the race from the front and, and didn't look challenged with a car that shouldn't be able to do it. And, you know, leaving Bottas in the dust. And, and something also happened that was really interesting in, in, in that race, which, which wasn't particularly more than a worrying time at the time, but came more significant later on. Um, do you remember when he was – there was a huge scrap of back markers in front of him. Yeah. I think it was Sorokin and uh, Grosjean. And he almost came to a dead halt not to get involved in their argument. And at that point, you know, Verstappen almost got past him. Yeah. But he was much more concerned about getting past safely. He was much more concerned. Yeah, that is the difference. We saw, obviously, a couple of races later, Verstappen get wiped out by Ocon. Shouldn't have happened, but it's Verstappen's fault. Mm. Or as much as it is Ocon's. Because he didn't need to do it, that's the point. Correct. And you suddenly realise that Lewis really is, from race one, Lewis is thinking about the World Championship. He's yes. not bothered about... Now, he's never done that showboating that, that Fettel's always felt he needed to do by getting fastest laps and everything else. It's all about how am I going to win the World Championship? Right, I really don't need to get involved in this accident. You know, if I lose a place to Verstappen because I've stopped for this, I'll sort that out later. Yeah. But, you know, he's not, he just got such He was a never going to be fighting Verstappen for the World Championship anyway, was he? So, I mean, that, exactly. that, that's exactly. f- for us armchair quarterbacks, armchair strategists, that's a no brainer. It's easy for us to I, say, I but sitting that, in the car, I, you make different decisions. But mm. Lewis made good decisions this year when he was sitting in the car. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, it, it, yeah, the, 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 the most underrated driver of all time, who's never mentioned in the greatest driver lists, and that's um, Jackie Stewart, who should be mentioned on the greatest driver list because yeah. of his hit rate and ability and everything else. Yeah, he has said the aim of motor racing is to win the race in the slowest possible time. Yeah, yeah. As long as you're ahead, it doesn't matter how far ahead you are. You know, this whole concept of, oh, I'm going to move my Mars and put the fastest lap, well, it's just extra risk you don't need to take. Yeah. And I think that's where you know, Lewis has now got that idea now. He doesn't need to do that. Um, so, yeah, Singapore was when Russia obviously was a, uh, unfortunately, a team orders victory. Uh, Bottas, who's had a struggling season, has always gone very well at Russia for some reason and yeah. carried on going very well at Russia. Lewis made a, a mistake in qualifying today's second. And uh, Valtteri was asked to let him go. And it was fair enough. Because th- th- I was going to say, but you, you can't, I mean, look, 
it's a team game. I'm sure he was a bit cheesed off by that. There are people who will still jump up and down with their hair on fire and shout about it. But, you know, ultimately, that Mercedes, Petronas, uh, you know, uh, Lewis, her eyes are all on the prize, and there's no doubt who's the f- number one driver there, and there's no mm-hmm. doubt that it isn't Valtteri Bottas. Well, no, because the number one driver was, you know, and I and I do believe that, you know, if if you know Valtteri had, had backed up his start of the season, which was you know third, second, second, and an unlucky, you know, not winning with other results, but he didn't, you know, the, the, the pendulum swung. Lewis was out qualifying him three times out of four, beating him in the race four times out of five. He's out of contention, and what you have to do at that point is you have to work out what's the best chance you're going to win both the races now we didn't know that the ferrari metal was going to completely implode so at that point with you know still five races to go yeah you, you, yeah. you maximize what you're doing great uh japan uh hamilton again and of course Vettel didn't finish due to a uh engine mode issue and that kind of really did throw the thing i mean he wasn't going to win anyway and he already made a mistake in hitting another mistake in hitting for Stappen, but obviously not finishing was uh, was more of an issue uh in october that was the first race in october was in japan uh, the second race in october uh becoming the third month of the year where we had three formula one grand prix extraordinary calendar uh, in 2018 <laughs> we should have taken some time talking about that but we could have probably talked a long time about it uh, we were off to the united states in a race that had everything including uh, spectator noises on the yes. camera Meow. yeah that was uh, an interesting high point i mean i think the high point for most people apart from me as you know my opinions was uh, the victory for kimi raikkonen after 113 grand prix um as he is so incredibly popular apparently i keep being told uh um, well i like him well, there we are. He's he's 50% popular amongst the two of us. I've got some uh, things to say about Kimi and about uh, about Sebastian when we get through in, into the teams. Okay. And, and I'll be interested to hear just just a bit of chat that I'm, I've been picking up in the last few days. So okay. I'll be interested to hear what you think. I mean, it was a pop. you're right. It was a popular victory. Uh, again, we saw uh, Vettel tangling with people and coming off, Ricardo, off yeah. worst. Uh, in terms of you know his championship positions, but but I got the feeling by then, if I'm honest, that that Vettel's heart wasn't in it. Well, not about that. I think he already knew he was, he was going to be a bit of a tall order, and I think uh, you know I think I, I think his psyche would be interesting to try and interpret it. But you know his back end of the season was awful um, mm. for for the guy in a car that was as good as it was, um, uh, and obviously his teammate winning doesn't make it any better. I mean again. Uh, Lewis showed a little bit more maturity, had a chance to try to go around the outside of 14, 15, 16, was it 16, 17, 18, and around Verstappen and thought, nope, not worth it, I'll stick for third. Yeah. Um, and tick up the points, because he knew that third place, whilst it wouldn't win the championship in the US, I'm sure it would have liked, meant he had to finish, like, I think, ninth or something in Mexico. Seventh, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so then we got to the Mexican Grand Prix the following weekend, and it was interesting, the second time in a row that Lewis has won the Drivers' World Championship in Mexico with a relatively underwhelming performance. Um, on my to... birthday, Max Verstappen wins uh, in yeah. Mexico, 28th of October. The altitude massively uh, suited, for some reason, suited the Renault engine. Uh, the downforce limits, uh, uh, sorry, the downforce effects the altitude suited the um, Red Bull, so no surprise it won. The, um, the only sub-story of that was, of course, that Danny Rick um, stopped... 
uh, Max getting pole position and being the youngest ever pole holder, so he can't do that. So Max will never be the youngest ever holder, whatever pole position, mm. and that's one record he won't get though because he has most of the other ones La- uh, age related. Last two races of the season: Brazil, then Abu Dhabi. Lewis again. Uh, well, no, Ch- Lewis, for the, no, Lewis for the first time when he's been world champion, one race. One races, yes. I, I was, I was going to um, say that he, he didn't take his foot off the pedal at all, did he? No, I think he's learned. He learned, I think, from the situation. Uh, both with but, but those last couple of times he just can't afford to do it he doesn't want to give anybody an edge in what is becoming increasingly more a battle of small nuances um so he just kept it i think also you know he wanted to win the constructors championship which they managed to do um in brazil um obviously the win he got was mildly fortuitous um because verstappen got taken out by ocombo i totally think that it's Verstappen's fault and, and I don't mean it was his fault the accident his fault, his fault he was there in the first place put place. himself there that's not how um, you, that's not how you win a world championship that's part of his psyche that if he's ever going to be world champion and, and plenty of people say he will be world champion I'm still not convinced I thought at times during the season we well, we're straying into that. Let's not yeah. let's not go into well, that. Well, well, no, I, I agree with you there. I agree. If you do it now, when you're not in world championship uh, con- uh, com- com- contention, sorry, it's a good time to do it because you can learn where it's not costing you anything apart from a bit of a bit of a you know a few points. So he's he's learned in that way and and he needs to move on from that. Um, good win for, and then in Abu Dhabi it was a bit of Mercedes benefit and they dominated and Lewis was, was fantastic and we got you know we, so much so it ended up being a farewell to uh, Fernando race mm. uh, rather than anything yes, else good point. Um, and so we got to the end of the season and it was a massive victory in both drivers and constructors points for Mercedes even though as you quite rightly say John leaving Belgium none of us well, what's like nine races prior to that no one would have thought that would be the case no indeed um, you're listening to a special programme on the Radio Show Limited network of channels that voice of course was our Formula One correspondent Nick Damon from uh, our Midweek Motorsport programme. Can I, can I, can I just say that I did, I, did all, I did all those race reports from memory. Well done. <laughs> so if I've got anything wrong, don't shoot me. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I thought at one stage you had managed to find something um, on, on a computer in front of you, but I, I was very, very impressed by that. Nick. Very impressed. Um, let, let's, let's go back to our normal, uh, our normal format, yeah. whereby we look at the team yeah. standings. And uh, we have something of a unique situation for the 2018 uh, Formula One team standings. Do you know what it is? Mm-hmm. Uh, Williams are bottom. That must be the first one. Well, no, you see, Williams aren't bottom. And we have 11 teams listed on the official uh, Formula uh, One. Right, I see. Because yes, Force India Sahara are listed but excluded uh, with zero points. Right, okay, well, that team was rubbish. But, <laughs> racing point for India. Well, uh, forcing India Mercedes, as they are listed on the Formula One website. Yeah, I think that's, that's really, I didn't, didn't know that's how, that's it's really a good quick question, no, isn't it? I didn't, didn't know, got it, that, I would never have got it. If Tim had asked that two weeks ago, I'd never have got it. Who came 11th from this year's World Championship? I'd go, what? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Of the teams there, that was because of the... the the team name uh, partway through the season changing, and we'll get to that when we get further up the, the table. Uh, Williams Mercedes, then, uh, in terms of Williams, I, I mean, we. I, I was going to say, ironically, there was no irony whatsoever uh, in, in this, but, you know, we termed them. Um, Team awful Williams at various times of the year mm. on midweek motorsport. Point scoring only in two events, Azerbaijan and Italy. Um, 
I, I really don't know what to say from my point of view about Williams. It's a, it's been a fan favourite team. It's, you know, it up, up, upheld the the private side of Formula One for so long that. We've talked to him before about a root and branch change to to Williams Mercedes. Um, 2018, is that going to be their low point? They will hope so. Well, it's 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 kind of disappointing that you know the thing is that Williams obviously, if you look back to the beginning of the hybrid era, they kicked off really really well. They had a good car, a good car with lacking a bit of downforce, but therefore very quick on the faster tracks, and they had the Mercedes engine, so they were. Yeah tipping her out in third overall and fourth overall. Um, as the engines have evened up and as they've got themselves lost in the world of goodness knows what, um, they've fallen down. It's despite, of course, um, poaching Paddy Lowe, the man behind the initial part of Mercedes' success with the hybrid era, into the team a couple of years ago. And they then produced a car that was, this year, that was just dreadful. It had aero stall issues. It had all sorts of problems. They compounded that by employing two renter drivers. Yeah. Now, Good rented drivers, as, as uh, you know, as, as Tim may say they were or whatever, but they were rented drivers. Sergei Sorokin and Lance Stroll are both there because of their checks, not their are checkers of Vacuum or Czech Republic drivers, uh, not because of their talent. And whilst they may have enough license points, what they didn't have was enough experience to work out how the heck they could improve the situation. Correct. So you had two people who weren't able to sort the car out, I don't believe. They had um, a reserve driver in. Uh, Robert Kubica, who also hasn't got enough relevant experience recently to sort the car out. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing. They were lost, and then they gave up. Um, and it was the archetypal season, terrible season, completely, in my opinion, self-inflicted damage. Yeah. Uh, as th- you mentioned, Lance Stroll, better of the two drivers, with uh, six points on the season, finished 18th in driver's points. Sergei Sorotkin uh, got the single point, the Russian uh, driver. Well, you, you've sort of said everything about them. Um, at times, they looked like they couldn't point the car in the right direction. I think particularly yeah, the I... British Grand Prix. But you've got to say, that car looks horrible to drive. And I'm, you know, I'm sure that other drivers might have done better over time if they'd been allowed to help develop the car but ultimately anybody getting into that car nick was was on a loser weren't they straight away yeah and i think i think we are a number of times during the season when you asked me how, how how's sergey srotkin going i, went, I don't know no idea how can yeah. i tell he's going you know and i think he feels very hard done by about being dropped and and i can understand that but you know it's it's one of those perfect storms of appallingness uh, and no one really saw it coming though they have been a bit of a slide I, you know, I could be, you know, I don't think they have the right people managing and running the team. I'm afraid sometimes nepotism doesn't work. And this is nothing against Claire's gender. It's just I don't think she's really the right person to run the team. And even then, she's kind of sort of running it through proxy, through Frank. Um, that's where the problems are at the top. But though they, you know, if you look at what they do next year, perhaps they've already realised. And as you say, John, perhaps that was an idea, the lowest point. And now with the proper, with two proper drivers. Um, certainly in George Russell, very, yeah, theoretically the best of the rookies coming in. And with uh, Robert, who Robert Kubica, the, the, you know, who if he can produce 97% of the performance he could when he was fully abled, oh. is going to be a good driver. So, Absolutely. And, they rec- and they do think they know what was wrong with the car. It took them too long to find it. So they don't think they're going to repeat it. So that's good news. So let's see where they get to. But, you know, 
they're probably only shooting for sixth or seventh. Even that would be a very, very overall. That would be a very big improvement. Uh, and I'll be the first one to say it, that I was the one that said Robert Kubica would never be back in the Formula One car. I oh, said that, and I couldn't. I echoed when I saw him in Mugello back in sixteen or fifteen when we did the Creventic event. I thought, yeah, I can see you can drive a, a nice big uh, SLS GT3, but you know. The, seen beyond him but you know good luck to him well done no, great stuff let's hope, it's, let's hope it's a super success it's a great it's a great story uh, we've got we're looking at the uh, teams here as we run through the 2018 Formula 1 uh, championship season uh, from the FIA out here on the Radio Show Limited uh, uh, network of channels with Nick Damon and I'm John Hindoff. Uh Williams Mercedes then in 10th position with 7 and in ninth position, Scuderia Toro Rosso Honda with 33 points. Uh, Brendan Hartley and Pierre Gasly. Brendan, um, not much return from his season's toil. Four points for him. Gasly with 29. STR Honda, your mm. assessment. Well, that's a really good question because two two parts of that um team um have made the promotion to red bull yeah the honda bit and the gasly bit yeah so in that way as a as a feeder team it's worked very very well um high point in bahrain 12 points scored yeah, as far as the team's there, concerned there is a, there is a point to, to 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 make um because we're going to obviously talk about mclaren later than the and the whole honda situation that scuderia Toro rosso have scored less points than mclaren scored fewer fewer points than McLaren scored last year and McLaren scored more points than they scored last year yeah. by changing engines now you can argue left right and centre what was right and what was wrong but that's an actually a hard fact certainly it's pretty obvious that Toro Rosso have ended up being a test bed for Honda developments during the season correct um, they've been taking bits and bobs and left and right and moving up they've again had nothing but changes not necessarily for um, reasons of failure or reasons of you know, worn out, just because they wanted to get new stuff through. So it's been pretty obvious that, that you know, Red Bull wanted to see that fast tracking of improved with Honda engine. They've been happy to sacrifice the Toro Rosso season. Um, I think Toro Rosso, the, the car was decidedly average. Um, Pierre Gasly had an absolute standout weekend in Bahrain and was then, I think, okay. Brendan dramatically improved once he got annoyed towards the end of the season. Yeah. Um, but never to me uh, was going to get retained. I think, I think he was just one of those things we didn't work out. I think it's a, a warning for Alex Albon next year that, you know, right, you return to the, you return to the fray. They're expecting things quickly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a disappointing season, but it, it was a season where they were doing something else, which was trying to develop the engine for the main team for next year. So it's a, an interesting way of spending many hundreds of millions of dollars, just being a test bed for someone else's engines. Uh, the next team up in eighth position um, is the is one that uh, is uh, very close to your heart because of the Alfa Romeo logo on the engine mm-hmm. cover. Although they are, of course, named Sauber Ferrari. Forty-eight points uh, gained across the season by. Uh, their two uh, drivers being Marcus Ericsson, who finished 17th in the Drivers' Championship with nine points, and Tizai Leclerc, uh, the Monegasque driver in, what, 13th position with 39 points. 
And how often does a car that comes eighth overall win a Car of the Year award, as it mm. did in our very own awards a few weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, because basically, it was so much better than what came before. They kind of, you know, they were two seconds off the pace. Suddenly, they were on the pace with a very, very well-designed car. Um, obviously, they benefited from this year's Ferrari in. Yep. Um, they carried on developing. They, they 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 had an issue getting the thing to work initially, and then they managed to fine tune it. So it was you know much much better towards the end of the season than than eighth overall. And that's um, actually been a problem for them in the past. You know, we, we've had mm. this chat with Sam Collins many times before for the Sam from Risk Car Engineering, who says you know one of the problems with the smaller teams and Sauber being one of these is they start with a good car, but then they don't have any funds or resources to develop it through the year well actually i think that's how we got better through the year oh massively yeah because they started with a radical concept they weren't quite sure about and they managed to actually tune it up as it went they actually yeah. did the whole setup and tuning i'm not sure how much they actually whether they were actually and obviously with the alpha money they've obviously got a lot more you know investment in there uh, as is evidenced by the fact they've got um key Raikkonen for next season uh leclerc um had a bit of a dodgy first two or three races and then proved to be a little superstar so he did what he did what you're supposed to do in your rookie season which is learn and then impress yeah and in his last year marcus erickson looked thoroughly competent which was you know how much more can you ask from a page rather than being thoroughly competent you know he's almost pegging his standards of competent um but you know they've now elected to go full ferrari next year and take antonio giovanazzi but i think yeah the salva was an excellent performance um good development the car looked nice they you know they really did push the envelope and it'd be really interesting where they get to next year and if they can keep um, Raikkonen motivated and actually get something out of him whether they can go forward or whether perhaps their best chance was with the young and the hungry drivers well yes uh, and next year I think I'm right in saying is the last year of the tie up with Alpha isn't it unless it's renewed I'm sure it'll be renewed well I'm Absolutely. not so sure you're not so sure no I, I'm I'm really not so sure because of 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 mainly because of of Marchione's death, um, mm. and 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 I'll I will talk more about that when we when we get to uh, when we get to Ferrari. I think, because I think the political axis of having multiple teams is incredibly useful. Yes, but, and I think that those within the sport understand that, but I'm not sure that those within the group understand that. But mm-hmm. I I I hope I'm proved wrong because I think it's done. Everybody in that deal will feel like they've got fifty-one percent of it um, because yeah. Sauber, uh, as a as a constructor, have have done well this year. The drivers have got something out of it, um, and certainly Ferrari have learned. They've got that extra extra axis, as you say, of multiple teams, uh, and Alfa Romeo have have got very important global coverage for a brand that's in a massive phase of expansion and rebuilding or rebuilding and expansion who have some good road car products uh, you know of of which we've all benefit uh, benefited you more than others uh, being a, <laughs> being an, an alpha driver yeah. um I, I i i'll be interested to see how how that happens actually um it was all pretty tight in these uh sort of midfield areas as far as the teams were concerned. Sauber yeah. Ferrari scored 48 points. Force India Mercedes, which was the revamped uh, and um, stroll run uh, Force India, mm. which came on part of the way through the year, actually did a pretty good job in terms of amassing points. And, and they finished with 52 points. And remember, Force India Sahara, we were talking about them. They were 11th and excluded with zero points to their name. So yeah, they it, dropped, about, dropped about 40, didn't they? 46 points, I think. They, they had to give up on that point. Which would have put them um, in fifth position 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think yeah, the, the Force India or whatever we're going to call them story is one which is basically positive because they they've survived through the year. They've been bought out by someone with money. Everyone's kept their jobs. Supplies have all been paid. They've competed the season in inequality middle middle of the field. They've kept Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon uh, gainfully employed. They they're looking to move the next season, year stronger yes. for last season. Yes. Um, they're looking to keep, you know, they're looking to move in next season stronger with a bit more investment. Uh, and the last thing Formula One can do is, is can afford to do is lose a new team. So it's a kind and, of. And a you don't want to... another uh, Farago as we had with Caterham and Mauricio no. Manor, Virgin, whatever they were called. Uh, Sergio, Sergio, with lots of people not being paid, as you rightly said. Sergio Perez, the Mexican driver, eighth position in the drivers' championship, sixty-two points. Now, of course, this. His driver's points reflect all of the points that he yes. that he scored. They weren't taken away from him. Esteban Ocon, 12th, the Frenchman, with 49 points. So that's uh, 78. Oh, no, that would have been 108. No, the other's wrong, sorry. 118. That, that, would have, that would have put them pretty close to Renault, actually, mm. um, in, the, in the Manufacturers' Championship. Um, all right, Perez, you know, I think we've said before, we... we we always thought he was a pretty decent driver. Never really got a fair crack of the whip when he was in and out of uh, McLaren uh, fairly quickly. Uh, did a, a reasonable job, Sean, at times during the year. It looks like, well, we know he's holding his seat. Is Esteban Ocon the unluckiest man in Formula One? Well, there's many more unlucky drivers in Formula One. Let's be honest, if you were going to start handing out seats to Mercedes and you had to choose a driver to put it in, it wouldn't be Oscar Ocon, would it? If you could choose it in a non-political style, you give it to Fernando, but you can't do that. Shall I put it another way? Is, is he unlucky not to have a drive in 2019 after yeah. his performance in 2018? Yes, he is. But then this is, yeah, this is the point about the axis of teams. You know, If you are signed to a certain team, be it or not you're driving for that team, you're driving for their satellite teams. If the satellite team's situation changes... Um, you know, you where you're not. It's unlikely you're going to get picked up by one of the other Axis teams. And of course, we have three Axis in F1 at the moment. We have the Ferrari Axis, which is Ferrari, Sauber, and Haas. We have the Red Bull Axis, which is um, Red Bull and Toro Rosso. And then we have um, the Mercedes Axis, which is the three Mercedes teams. And and sort of also now coming together are Renault and McLaren. So you need to be in one of those blocks. Yeah. Um, and, and crossing between the blocks is very, very difficult unless the team that owns you and has invested in you is prepared to relinquish that. And Mercedes were not prepared to relinquish their... It sounds a bit kind of... Their know, investment. Draconian, but their ownership of, yes. of, of Ocon's contract because they wanted him and given the fact that how less impressive Bottas has been at times you think okay that's possibly not such a bad idea but it does mean that sometimes the musical chairs will stop especially in a situation we currently have where one of the two teams which is allied but not um, beholden to Mercedes is uh, is effectively being financed by two drivers um, mm. Laurence Stroll through his dad and um, Sergio Perez so there's no room for a favourite of the engine manufacturer because you know they are financed by the two drivers already yeah. um, and then you have another team the other Mercedes team Williams has taken a Mercedes driver but they've taken the other one they've taken George Russell who probably they think the uh, reason being my guess is because they were told they're going to lock on for a year only and they're thinking the last thing we need is more change if they take Russell they're pretty sure they haven't put at least two 
Yeah. So that's why I think that's that's you know I'm sure that you know and obviously it is a, pay, it's a situation where he's not a pay driver but he is coming with money you know they get discount engines let's not let's not try and pretend that Russell's in the Williams entirely on talent though he has the talent to deserve to be there you know to make that point um, but you know so. Yeah, this but he is, he is bringing a large articulated yeah. lorry it's directly large. from Brixworth with Mercedes engines in it. Bringing these Mercedes engines, which apparently no longer need a check to release them. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, uh, or even a pole. Uh, no, but seriously. Very good. And, uh, but no, that, this is the thing. This is the, the economics of, of motorsport now is the such. Yes, you know, it is a remarkable fact that our five-time world champion was effectively, you know, pretty much a you know best a, you know, a middle-class guy or, or a working-class guy from Stevenage because, you know, if we look at the British drivers who come through. Landon Norris is not short of a few quid to get in to, to do it. But if you if you haven't got enough money to get yourself the whole way, you have to get picked up by one of the programs. Which is and what Lu- bit- what happened to Lewis at eleven, and and I think. Yeah, I heard somebody say um, the other day that conservatively something like ten or twelve million pounds was oh. what uh, what Ron Dennis and McLaren had in, invested in Lewis in in those early years. And and the Lewis investment paid them handsomely. Absolutely, you know, and some of these investments don't pay teams handsomely. So actually, I think we should applaud this situation. To be honest, otherwise we would only have you know Lord McDuff and Lance Stroll and. Uh, you know, multi-millionaires from you know, you know Singapore and or anywhere else in the world being able to drive because you need to be able. These drivers can just about scrape about to a certain point, but even quite well-off people can't afford to find the two million euros to do Formula Two. They need backing in some way, um, and so these driver contracts are fantastic, and that's going to get a much higher quality of driver into the top echelons. But there is always a but. It means that if you are on the Mercedes contract, there are three teams you can join. If yep. you're on the Ferrari contract, there are three teams you can join. And if those teams are full or have other you know, other options, and it, and it has to be the Ferrari three teams are the, the best three at the moment, as, as is evidenced by the fact that they've got you know, they managed to get Giovinazzi and uh, Leclerc into, into cars recently. And I'm pretty sure that once... Oh, you mean the best Haas, in terms of opportunity? Yeah. Yes. And once half. Haas will probably be unlocked as well next season. So if someone else good comes up on the Ferrari ladder, there'll be probably, almost certainly be a space at Haas next year because they've, they've, they've stuck slavery to the, uh, the two they've had for a while. And I think that's, that, that will probably ease back. So, yeah, it's, it's a necessary evil. Osborne Ocon will get to do some various stuff. He has, yeah, he'd love being F1. He's good enough to be an F1. But this has happened many times before. And I think what he does have is he currently has enough, um, you know, pressure behind yeah. him to, to make the jump. He's one worry is if George Russell comes in and does a fabulous job. Yeah. Because you get to be old news very quickly yeah. and there's only one space they all want and that's the space at uh, Mercedes and it has to be much more likely that Bottas will be dropped at the end of the year rather than retained for the simple reason that both Bottas otherwise they'd be running into a risk of having to change both drivers because Lewis has got a two year contract and they wouldn't want to change both drivers. No. no. So I would expect they will make a decision they say to make a decision and put someone on a two-year contract uh, at the end of this year, and I don't think it'd be Valtteri Bottas, but I just don't think. I think they realise that he is a excellent wingman, which I'm sure uh, totally thought wish he'd never said, but he's not a team leader. Uh, that's Nick Damon. I'm John Hindoff, and you're listening to a special programme on the Radio Show Limited network of channels as we look back at the 2018 Formula One, the FIA Formula One uh, Championship. Uh, we're counting down through the constructors championship mentioning the drivers as we go and we rock up pretty much halfway through in sixth position mclaren renault 10 points oh. ahead of 
Force India Mercedes. Um, I'm getting a bit bored of seeing this over the last three, four years, but... You know, McLaren can't have another year like this year, can they? I mean, I've said that at this time of year for the last four years. I mean, sixth position is not as bad as it could be, and it's not as bad as it's been, but it's still not a McLaren year, is it? Where do you start, really? Uh, First of all, they had insisted for three years that they were rubbish because of Honda. Uh, We found out there wasn't the reason they were rubbish. Uh, We found out, again, the only reason they score any points at all is because of Fernando Alonso, and they haven't got him next year. Um, Stoffel van Dorn, you know, that experiment hasn't worked. Hasn't worked. I think he was crushed mentally. Um, 12 points, 16 points in the chat. Never out-qualified Fernando. Um, And Fernando's biggest strength isn't qualified. Um, I mean, it's extraordinary that Alonso actually scored 50 points this year in that car. He was very... Very, very good. You see, he was fighting. If you think about it, he was fighting against people. You know, if, if you're up in the front, you're fighting against the very best. Yeah. yeah. So he's, if he wants to get in the top six, he's got to beat Verstappen. He's got to beat Vettel. He's got to beat Lewis. If he's got to come seventh, he's beating people who aren't of his level. So, you know, he has that. He Suddenly, the car advantage, which he doesn't have, he can begin to compensate for. He can never get it past one of the top cars no. because, you know, the, a, a, they're as good. They're, they're high quality drivers as well. But the, the gap's too much. So, you know, he did, he, you know, he did a very good job. He got a little bit self-publicity towards the end. He was having his greatest drive ever, TM. And I think, certainly, I think in the last three or four, last couple of races, he really just got fed up with the whole thing. Question here, Nick. Question mm-hmm. about Alonso. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still impressed with him. I still believe okay. he is the second best. This year, I still think he was the second best driver on the grid um, in terms of what he wrung out the car and his talent. Uh, yeah. I'll put Lewis at the top. Uh absolutely this year um, for a, a number of different reasons as we discussed on our show of the year but do you think Alonso going off and doing other things um, has has actually given him a better perspective about Formula 1 and he said some weird things and uh, you know but honestly if the car makes it to the end of the race you can almost guarantee that he's going to be in the points and I yep. think I mean that that actually is a big. That's a small thing for me to say, but it's a big statement. That. Well, you know, I think for a man who is so politically inept, and there's no other way of putting it. <laughs> well, he should he, have had six or also, seven world championships by now. He is also the ultimate pragmatist. Yeah, and he's actually done something which the modern generation of F1 drivers seems very loath to do. He's actually looked out with the bubble when he realized things weren't going very well and planned an exit strategy and is now enacting it because his basic feeling was, if I don't get a top three team drive, I'm not doing this anymore. And I've managed to convince McLaren to keep me on because they had no other option and they needed me desperately. As, and he paid them back. Yeah. So he was allowed to do other things, which wasn't, no one's done, no F1 drivers and other things. So how many, I can't oh. think the last F1 did other things. So yeah. you're not a top driver. So he meant to, and he's managed to win Le Mans. He's, he's, doing another, he's doing another FIA World Championship. It's not like he's, he's pottering <laughs> around in an arrive and drive <laughs> yeah, cart. Yeah, he's, he's not turned up for a guest at the support on a, on a Clio support race. No, no exactly. Um, yeah, and yeah, so he's he's used that. He's used the fact that you know he has those that ability to open doors. It's worked particularly well. You know, he was an engine failure away from a definitely a podium at Indianapolis two years ago. Yep. Um, he's uh, you know got the got the got uh, 
the money on was well it depends how the politics of Toyota plays out he should end up with the world championship as well for FIA for all endurance he's also that- in a team uh, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry to have to say this but in a team that is bereft of proper sponsorship uh, hmm. major sponsorship shall we say McLaren He's an earner as well, because when they go and do things, they may be bereft of, of proper sponsorship in Formula One, but when he went and did Indianapolis, and when he will go back to do Indianapolis, and then presumably do the full season the year after with two cars from McLaren, is, is what the 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 rumours, and, and they've taken Bob Fernley over there to run that, that, that programme, McLaren. Um, plus, we don't know what they're doing, um, well, we don't know what they're doing with their Le Mans programme, they've, they've turned off their GTE programme now as they look closer at the uh, LMP1, what some people call the hypercar regulations for 2020. But he could be a massive earner. He has been a massive earner and he could be a massive earner in terms of attracting uh, support, commercial support for these other things. Bizarrely, not in F1, but certainly in the other things. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a very, very marketable commodity. And yeah. I think, you know, that's why McLaren have bent over backwards to stay friends with him and are staying friends with him. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've been a little bit snide about it, but I think it's a very good point. That it's, why is the McLaren car still bereft of sponsorship when the man who runs the team is supposed to be Mr. Sponsorship? But let's leave that one there. Um, yeah, and so moving forward, McLaren had... Der- I'll tell you why, Nick. I'll tell you why. And it's mm. not the answer you're going to expect me to give. Because there's no magic roller decks. Not Zach Brown, not anybody else has got the magic Rolodex to pull in the kind of money that would make a big difference to a Formula One team. And, mm. and it is not easy, not even with the brand equity, not even with the world championships, not even with the trophy cabinet that McLaren has got, has, has Zach Brown, who has been, well, depending on who you talk to, has been either moderately successful or a bit successful in uh, sponsorship acquisition in the past, not even Zach Brown can walk into there and conjure up money for Formula One at the level that is worthwhile doing it. No, I think that's very fair. It's... uh... Yes, I mean, again, much as we hope Williams picks themselves up, we kind of hope that McLaren finally get themselves around. You get the impression that McLaren is is um, a very large organisation with a lot of McLarenisms, which, which which people you know have problems with, which is surprising they're still there now that Ron's left, uh, and it kind of needs itself to be um, root and branch sorted out, yeah. uh, and that takes Great. a very very long time. Sixth position, as we said, for McLaren Renault, 62 points. Changes there, obviously, going into 2019. We'll talk about all of that in our preview programme, uh, which will come up before the start of the 2019 Formula One season uh, in, what's that, uh, March of 2019. But for now, we're looking back on 2018, and we're heading up the table as far as the constructors are concerned. Top five finish with 93 points. Haas Ferrari. And their two drivers, Roman Grosjean, uh, 14th position for the Frenchman, 37 uh, points. And Kevin Magnussen had a pretty good year inside the top 10 of the Drivers' Championship, which uh, a lot of people thought he shouldn't have been given 2018 in the car, but repairs the confidence shown in him by Haas and by Ferrari uh, with 56 drivers' points on the year. Uh, Your assessment of Haas-Ferrari and their two drivers, Nick Damon. 
first half of the season, uh, Magnuson was very, very good. Grosjean was absolutely awful. Second half of the season, Grosjean was very good and Magnuson was made to look average. Uh, I thought the Haas car was a solid car and it was a little bit track specific, but at least they finally solved those braking problems they had the last three years. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I just thought they were very disingenuous at the back end of the season when they were complaining about... Um, Everything. Force India. I, everything. I, they I about everything. I understood why they were complaining, but I think they completely missed the point. And and I think I don't know whether it's a sensitivity that I and you have from living in the carbon fiber triangle. But the absolute key point about rescuing Force India was nothing to do with points. It was nothing to do with with money from um, you know constructing. It was everything to do with keeping five hundred people, four hundred forty people employed, and keeping the suppliers paid. Yeah. And the fact that I just don't think because Haas on a different model, they're based in the states. They buy all their stuff from from Ferrari. They just didn't understand the point that that was more important. You know, they're arguing a share of the money they're arguing about that they will get is about I think it was about eight hundred thousand dollars. It might be one point six. I couldn't quite work out. Yes, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but it's a drop in the ocean for F one teams. And I just sometimes you just need to think. And the point about it is the argument they're making anyway wouldn't benefit them because they're not going to be a new team again. So they're making themselves look mean for no reason. And perhaps this is a very British carbon fiber and triangle feeling and, and perhaps our American listeners and our European listeners go, oh, Nick, you're being X, Y, and Z. Very parochial, yes. It's just what I felt. And I, and I just felt, stop it. We've got the team. They've saved the team. Leave it. You know, and Halfway up, the, halfway up the Constructors' Championship for Haas Ferrari, and, the, and, the, and if you like, the best of the rest, because the four teams that we'll talk about above them are the engine uh, manufacturer teams, or mm-hmm. at least yep. the Axis teams, the multiple teams, uh, who have influence on more yep. than one team. It's not bad for Haas, well, still a relatively yeah, new organisation. Yeah, they're, 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 they, they, you know, they've done it in an interesting way with buying so much stuff in Ferrari, which in sales has annoyed people down the pit lane, but they've done nothing illegal, nothing wrong. It does kind of always mean you have a limit to your ambition. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you're always, you know, going to have, not example, cast off the wrong word, but you know what I mean? You're always going to have an element off the best stuff. They, they, they the regs very, now, though, state that you've, for engines yeah. in particular, you've got to have the latest iteration, don't you? You're not allowed to palm off all your old stuff onto your customers. Yes, that, 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 you know, that is obviously... A, you can be a race out, can't you? I think you can introduce different parts of the cycle, but you can't be um, massive different, and even things like the amount of seconds you're allowed in each mode has to be the same, apparently. Right. Um, but, no, I think... You know, it's it's not a bad model um, they have for a startup, but you kind of think what you should then do is expand a bit and do some more stuff yourself. But they're sticking with their model. Um, uh, Gene Haas is moaning more, which is interesting. Um, it's, I, I don't know why he thought it would be easy. I think there was some. I think he's kind of uh, suffering from a little bit of NASCAR-based arrogance, where you can turn up really? with a car money. Yeah, he said, "Oh, it's not fair. The other top teams are too far away. It's too big a gap. If I don't get catch up soon, oh, it's not." And I'm thinking, yeah, but. You don't seem to understand. This is big boy stuff. This is this is investment of multi millions with teams backed by manufacturers. Yes, NASCAR is a massive sport, but it is a silhouette series, effectively. Um, yeah, but know. the super teams always generally do better in any motor racing, and NASCAR isn't immune to that. No, and I it, think it, it, it makes it makes the outliers slightly less effective. One of the super teams there because of the fact that it's so much easier to be a super team. Effectively, you just need some good people and some money. Well, good people and money actually won't get you anywhere in F one. 
you need a number of other things as well, like the right the right alliances, the right, you know, everything else. So I, I just think, I guess get the impression that Gene thought it would be easier um, or thought he could do it, thought he could do it a different way. I mean, he has done well for a new team. Don't be right. I think if he sat down, if he sat down and looked at all the other new teams over the past 20 years and saw where they got to in three seasons, he actually should be giving himself a good pat on the back. I agree with that. I, I think, personally, apart from that I'm annoyed with at the moment, I think they've done brilliantly for three seasons and they've set a very good stall out. But if, if, but if Gene wants to become one of the top teams, he's going to have to make a massive quantum leap in investment, both in pure dollar terms and also in the infrastructure of what they provide themselves. Buying for the shelf will not work to get you to the very top in F1. Uh, uh, can I be slightly controversial? Does, does the team have to move to Europe to become no, one of the top not ones? Anymore. Not anymore. No. You think not? I don't think no. Okay. I don't think so. I think I think that's not necessarily more because I think they have because where they are, um, you know, in Charlotte, they have enough um quality uh special engineering firms. You right. know, if they're based in I don't know, if they were based in, in a in a non motorsport environment, absolutely you'd need to move somewhere to a motorsport environment. You know, we've seen that before. We saw teams have suffered from but not Indianapolis being... and uh yeah, Charlotte, no. North yeah. Carolina are two oh, motorsport yeah. hubs in the States, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. The teams that suffer, if you look at you know, you know, uh, Toyota, who suffered in F1, because whilst they had the most fantastic facility, they had to try and get engineers to move to Cologne, and not everyone wanted to move to Cologne um, in the F1 day. Now, of course, it's no problem finding really high-quality engineers from IndyCar, from IMSA, and from from NASCAR to run the F1 team and come over and be based, you know, in the states and then move around. So, I think that's not the issue for them. No. Um, let's move into the uh, let's move into the top four. Now, as time is uh, pushing on, uh, 93 points for Haas Ferrari in fifth, 122. So, you know, in the big scheme of things, from Renault in fourth position on 122, down to, I suppose, Force India, Mercedes, with their 52, which actually, over the years, we said, was over 100, over 100 points. Yeah. There's not that much between those middle four or five Teams, uh, Renault with Nico Hulkenberg being the better of their two drivers, seventh position for Nico, uh, the German uh, clocking up 69 points, and he was effectively the best of the rest in terms of drivers outside the uh, the major three that we'll talk about in, in a moment, the major three teams. Carlos Sainz, 10th position, only a handful of points. What, 16 points behind his teammate, uh, sat behind Kevin Magnussen, but ahead of Fernando Alonso uh, on uh, on the year, uh, Sergio Perez in amongst there as well, 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th, all pretty close uh, in the Drivers' Championship. Let's start with Carlos, Carlos Sainz. Um, outside of Vettel, Alonso and uh, Hamilton, I think that Carlos Sainz is the driver who divides opinion when I talk to people most, uh, 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 and, and certainly of the, the non top rung drivers I actually think he's quite good I think he's a bit better than he's often given credit for I think he's a, a good package he's very good on camera and on PR there are a lot of people that I talk to who don't just think he's not very good they don't rate him at all where does Nick Damon lie on Carlos Sainz um, um, when he was partnered with Max Verstappen, he was there or thereabouts. It wasn't a huge amount between the two, though. Obviously, yeah. Max had the publicity. Um, I think people expected him to come and blow Nico Hulkenberg away uh, at well, Renault. But well, I think started... that was a mistake, because I think Nico Hulkenberg is a much better well, driver than people this, think. This issue is, is 
uh, Carlos Sainz overrated, or is Nico Hulkenberg criminally underrated every single year? Um, and you know, Hulkenberg so turned up in, in, and in, and in one go, one Le Mans. You know, whether you know, and that's difficult to do with no sports car experience. He has consistently been the, the best at any team he's been at. He's he's always managed to miss out on the stellar result. He's the man who'll, who'll, who'll uh, yeah. There's four races. He'll get three fifth places, and the fourth race where everything should, just falls for that team. It's his teammate who gets the third. Yeah. Um, you know, and yes. and so he's had a kind of a weird situation. He's never got a podium. This longest run without a podium for a, for an active driver, I think actually. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think Carlos, he was he was being a little bit um, subdued by Nico at the start of the season, and in the middle of the season, so in the middle third, it went back to Saints again, and the last two or three races, it went back to Hulkenberg who did better. Um, Saints now is, is is off to be a, a de facto team leader at McLaren, um, partnering Landau Norris. Hulkenberg has a real challenge uh, with Danny Ricardo coming over yes. in a surprise move. Now, is that when we did... find out how good Hulkenberg really is? Absolutely. Is that I mean, when we find out how good Carlos Sainz really is? The problem is no, he's, go- he's going into a, a still into a, a team that isn't really there. Carlos Sainz has to beat Landon Norris, and Norris um, had a poor year this year, so he needs to bounce back from that, even though I know he got promoted because there was not much else that McLaren could do. I think I personally think Landau uh, would benefit from a second year in F2. I don't think I don't think he shouldn't be in F1. I just think another year in F2 would do him some favours. Um, but then I'm... I'm very much out of the modern way, John, where you need to be an F1 by the time you're 11. Um, but, Months. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he's walking and he's not in F1. I'll give up. Yeah, um, he's passed so, it now. I, I, the extra, it's a, you know, I'm, quite, I'm quite liking what they're doing with Mick at the Mixed Year America at the moment. They, they've seen he's got a bit of a slow burn in his development. Yeah. It is not a problem to turn up F1 at, tw- at 25, 26. You have not failed no. if you turn up as a fully rounded driver at 26. It's fine. But these days, if, you, if you're not there by 20, it's like, oh, no, forget him. Go look at someone else. I know we have a lot of – I think it's the youngest average age ever next year, I think. Oh, is it? I think, I think, uh, actually, I think actually Kibitsa getting signed just bumped it over away again. Right. But, it, but, but um, yeah, I mean, you've got so many under-19, under under-20 drivers and under-21 year-old drivers there. But um, I, the answer with signs is I don't know. He blows hot and cold. He needs to put a whole season together. He's very, very quick. Um, is he a team leader? Don't know. My feeling is probably not, but he is also still very young. Uh, is Hulkenberg very, very good? Yes. Does he need more luck? Yes. Does he need a better team? Yes. Is he going to beat Ricciardo? <laughs> Gosh, that's a hard one, isn't it? You, you kind I, of. I think. That... I mean, when we start talking about next year, I think that's one of the things that will be debated about next season. Mm-hmm. Should I say? Um, that's the thing. Hulkenberg that... is going to need to raise his qualifying game. Yes. Not his racing game, I think. Yeah. Um, signs in my. A humble opinion. Um, I think he. This could be the making of him. Uh, the, the team leader thing. Sometimes you know it's like any. Sometimes it's in a sport when you you give somebody the captain's armband. Um, mm. It can only go one of two ways. It either completely ruins their personal performance or it takes it to another level. And I think it'll be the latter for science. I think. I think science is felt he's had to prove himself the whole time initially because obviously because who his dad was and Correct. then because he was part with Max Verstappen and then so I think possibly given a vote of confidence you are t- he's de facto team leader you know, this, this, yes. you know I, I don't expect Landon Norris to do a Lewis Hamilton on him uh, even though it's another Spanish established driver against a British rookie um, but le- uh, my feeling is that you know they'll they'll both do well 
as well as the car will allow them to do. Well, I think but... Norris. I still think Norris has got some uh, psychological and mental frailty, and we'll see how that works out. Signs. Yeah, he's not nineteen yet. I mean, well, no, exactly, doing, no, no, exactly. No, no, no. I'm not. That, that, that's the point I'm making. He's still a kid. Mm. Anyway, we're talking about next year now. Um, yeah, sorry. Good luck to yeah, Sainzy. Good luck. Good luck to <laughs> Sainzy. And Nico is a lovely bloke. Um, he was an active Formula One driver. Went off and did something else, albeit just that one race at the Mans. But he won it. Worked out quite well. Yes, uh, and that, and know, that actually I was I a know, pretty good help, performance. But, you know, um, you know. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of think that with the with you know that I, yeah, let's not go to next year. But that's going to be really interesting right next year. Uh, let's move on to Red Bull Racing Tag mm. Heuer, uh, the team that uh, have the big Aston Martin sign on the back of their mm-hmm. wing as well. And we jump from 122 points to 419. <laughs> Yeah, I know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? This is where we see what Nick was talking about earlier on about the top three teams. 419, 571, 655. Um, And in fact, I reckon that if you add everybody from Renault on downwards uh, as they're finished, they wouldn't add up to Red Bull, never mind a Ferrari and Mercedes. It it is ridiculous. I mean, thank God there are three top teams, not one top team. That's all I can say. Danny Ricciardo, uh, the affable Australian, 170.6 in the championship. Max Verstappen, uh, Dutchman, 249, fourth in Mm. the championship uh let's start with danny rick he's decided to leave there was an on again off again throughout the season is he going to sign or oh, he hasn't signed or oh, he's not going to sign or oh, he might still sign uh <coughs> but but they haven't really shown him a lot of love um we, we discussed it through the season it could have been handled better that couldn't it mm, yeah i mean i, I think it's, it, it, he effectively decided that the team was going to be Verstappen's and he just takes some money and a, and a risk elsewhere. It's funny this because if we'd had a conversation about Danny Rick and Max Verstappen at a Canadian Grand Prix weekend, we would say that Danny Rick is fantastic, Max Verstappen's an idiot because that's what would happen the first five races of the year. You get you then have the other sixteen and Danny Rick's broken down in most of them and Max has been really very very effective in the rest of them and hasn't yeah. really made apart from Brazil hasn't really made any major errors. So you kind of go that spun around and perhaps. Um, Red Bull are back in the right the right horse. Um, Danny Rick, I think, realised oddly that he wasn't going to be world champion with um, Red Bull because if if the world championship was going to be won by Red Bull, it would end up being won by Max. So is this another you know, Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel, the the plucky Aussie uh, against the established? European and not feeling no, he was getting the crack of the whip. No, well, no, because Daniel Rick is a much better driver than Mark Webber was. I think what's been evidenced. I mean, in, this is going to sound. I know Mark's a friend of yours. What's this is going to be evident? What has been evidenced by? And our guest on the program today, yeah. Mark Webber. Hi, Mark. What has been evidenced <laughs> by Sebastian Vettel's performances over the past few years is how weak Webber was as competition to him at Red Bull. Hmm. But we'll never Those know how much of that was that Mark that, and how much of that was one. parity of machinery. And that, I mean, no, no, that no. Was... I'm not. I'm, what I'm saying is that the, the you know, the, if you look at what every other, you know, Ricardo wiped the floor with um, uh, Fettel. Fettel. Even Raikkonen's managed to be better than him for six races of the year or seven races of the year. Um, but whether was comprehensively beaten, certainly for the, for the final three years or four years. Um, so you know, and, and and because of that, made. Um, uh, Fettel looked good. This anyway, was so such Ricciardo... a bad year for Ricciardo that once in a while, just once in a while, he actually wasn't smiling. Oh, I know. It comes a point I want to make it the original start. Now, uh, you know, 
Renault came come in for a lot of criticism from Red Bull on a ten minute basis, really, about their engine. Apart from they were, they did say nice things about them when they won in, in Mexico because of the attitude. Now, I realised, you know, the amount of failures which Red Bull had over the season was monumental, way more than the amount of failures that McLaren had, yeah. and way more the amount of failures that uh, Renault Renault had. Yeah. Do you not feel that installation has something to do with it? <laughs> I knew where you were going with that. Do you, do you not feel well, that constantly what a... blaming your engine and, and manufacturing suppliers for when you are a team run by a man who is known, or sorry, designed by a man who is known to take very little into account apart from aerodynamics and perhaps is packaging things too tightly, overheating things, yes. you're pushing too hard. Yes. I, I, And that isn't going to change when Honda come on board. They're not nope. going to suddenly go, let's have a couple of extra inches around there for cooling. They're going to they're gonna stress the We need a honking well. great knacker duct in there, Adrian. Oh, absolutely not. Do you realise how much drag that will cause? And I don't get any aerodynamic downforce from that. Just put so, a sheet over the top of the engine and yeah. uh, and then lay some, lay some fibreglass over the top of that. And that's the shape of the car. You know, there's there's, a, there's, a, there's an awful lot of just drinking. The, yeah, I, I do feel that, that the – I know that we need stories, and I know that it's it's been five years of domination by one team, but I do think that, they, that Red Bull have been cut an awful lot of slack with the words, it's all Honda's fault. It's all McLaren, It's all Renault's fault. And Well, I, the Renault – there's a couple of things, sorry, about uh, Red Bull is they're always categorised as the little – the plucky little team when they, <laughs> when they spend more money more than, money. than – well, probably more money than any other team, bar Mercedes. No, because see, Mercedes are two parts. If you just say Mercedes team part, I don't think the Mercedes team part is spending more than Red Bull's team part. No, that's a fair on point. Top of that, Mercedes has Bricksworth, and obviously that is more money. Yeah, but they're supplying not that. That's that's exactly. an engine supply. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. No. Well, okay. So not that. Not just a plucky little team. Un, un, apparently, unending uh, infin, infinity in terms of resources because and because they've got two teams we know that they have swapped and changed between that to get around regulations they are always the people who refuse to sign up to the working time directive or whatever it's called because they've got resources to throw at it uh talking to someone um there a little while ago now who said well yeah we have a budget in that at the end of the year everything's added up and there's a number but it's not like they're actually working to a number. They just spend the amount of money that they think they need. Mm. No, I mean, you know, I think yeah, Ripple have done uh, reasonable this year. Got what four wins? Um, they picked up some scraps. They look generally competitive on some races, not just lucking into it as they did in, in Austria. Um, mm. But they have been single-handed just blaming their engine supply for five years now, and. Uh, you know, I'm sure the first the, by the third failure of Honda next year, they'll be blaming Honda as well. And we mentioned Ricciardo there. Um, moving on, Verstappen, as you said, he didn't have a great start to the season. Uh, season of two halves, first half of the season rubbish, second half of the season pretty good, apart from and, Brazil. And as a young, and as a young man who's still learning, and you can see that you can, you can almost see the learning going on. Yes, you right, can. lap by lap, a lot of it. He is going to have to stop wandering about in braking zones. He got penalised twice for it this year, then moaned like it wasn't his fault. Hopefully, that when he's off the radio and sitting down in the team briefings, they point out, no, Max, that was your fault, and you need to stop doing it. Um, well, I've always said about him, and I actually thought he showed flashes of maturity this year. Um, if I was his team and his management, I'd get his dad out of the pit box. 
Honestly, mm. I would. I, I think, think that's yeah, a I, massive. I, I think he's. I think he's believing his own PR, and they're going, "Oh, he's so tough," and all the other all the other drivers are frightened of him. I don't think. I think. I don't think the drivers in matter are frightened of him. No. They're just worried. He's a loose cannon. But well, I've always uh, said, Nick, that I have no issue with the way he overtakes. He's a, he's offensive driving. No, uh, he's, he's brilliant. Yeah, but, his defensive driving is questionable. Uh, I think almost very, all that's the time. A very very generous word. Questionable. If you look at, you know, Lewis got overtaken a couple of times this year and, and uh, Vettel got overtaken a few times this year. And, yeah, they go, oh, yeah, you've got that one. I'll, I'll let that one go and worry about the next corner. You know, Verstappen's still fighting all over the scrappy of the place. And then, yeah, he, here's, he, he, here's a point, though, Nick. Uh, until Verstappen has genuinely got a chance at the World Championship, all he's looking for is race wins, is one more position up the grid and another race win. So, in some respects, and I'm, I'll defend him here for that, then all he's got to do to keep his brand going, all he's, the only tools that he's got is his disposal, is making sure that he finishes higher up the grid, as high up the grid as he can. If that's one more place, if that's one more great overtake, if that's not letting Ocon unlap him, because that's going to unlap myself, because that's going to make me look a bit weak, actually, even though everybody knows that he's on newer tyres and I'm really struggling. But and, and he's not thinking, even at that point, he's not even thinking about winning the race. So until, you know, until he's in a team with Red Bull or with somebody else who can give him a car where he genuinely is a contender for the championship, surely he's doing the right thing in being aggressive no. in his defence. No. Because he is getting a reputation. He is picking up points in his licence. So if say he wants to make a challenge, say he's suddenly in a championship winning car next year. He's starting the year with seven or eight points in his licence. He's starting the year with the reputation. Yeah. First time he moves over, he gets a penalty. Yeah. If he had no reputation, would he get the penalty? No. You know, the point is, it's a very long game, motorsport. It's a very long game. People think it's just an hour and a half in an F1 race. No, it's a 21-race season, and it's a 10-year career. And look how quickly that reputation can get you thrown out for a race, as we've seen with other drivers in the past. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not, he's not reckless. He is, I think, you know, over-aggressive, and that can get time. But he needs, you know, that's going to need, I think, a, I would love to know what goes on behind the scenes, because... Horner obviously does the whole football manager thing and does the siege mentality and protects everyone on, on camera. He does a, you know, he's doing a, a full on Alex Ferguson, but he, the, you know, it's, that's not necessarily the best thing for, for Stappen. He needs a good sitting down talking to. And Verstappen needs to know, learn how to lose before he can actually win a world championship. Okay. That's Nick Dearman. Uh, we've got two teams left in the FIA Formula One World Championship season. Four drivers to talk about as well on this special programme from the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. And uh, let's head to Ferrari. 571 mm-hmm. points. Uh, and start with one of my favourite drivers, but not one of Nick's. Kimi Raikkonen finished third in the Drivers' Championship this year. That's probably yep. a position or two higher than uh, <laughs> even his most fervent fans would have really expected him to get this year. 251 points uh, was, what, only two points, actually, ahead of Verstappen, who was two points ahead of Valtteri Bottas. So, again, the second drivers in these big teams, very closely matched from third down to fifth. Uh, Raikkonen had, for me, uh, another season of two halves. We got bored Kimi at the start of the season and then a bit more interested Kimi towards the end and a race victory, of course, in the US. Uh, Yeah, I think if if you listen back to the preview, I was very scathing about Raikkonen being in the team and (laughs) I'm I'm probably prepared to admit that this year I was probably wrong and he did a good job. You're probably prepared to admit that this year you were probably wrong. 
Yeah, I'm not and going. He scored I'm going no, I'm going no further than that. Uh, you know, and he did look better than Fettel a number of times, but I'm just wondering whether that was a, a failure of Fettel's rather than anything else. Um, I think the team, you know, I think he did. Yeah, he was Damn pretty solid number two. There, here, uh, yeah, uh, Dearman. He, I mean, he's a solid number two, and he's you know he stayed in F1, which pleases all the people who like him. I think it's a waste of a seat, but he may well probably well get in Salba. Um, yeah, you know, he was very, very good in with the race he won in the US. He's pretty good in in in, in three or four other races. He does go missing a lot. He does. Um, I tell but... you what, though, if he's in the, I still think if you get good Kimi to come to the track, then even if the car is rubbish, he'll still drive the wheels off it. He's one of the few drivers. Alonso's in this uh, category. Hamilton is in this category, and I think Raikkonen is still there. But not enough. I'll 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 admit to that. That he can outperform the car. He can get a result out of a car where you go, well, he should not have been there. I don't think Ferrari's tactics helped him this year. He was rather used as the sacrificial lamb a, a few too many times for his fans. I, I understand say, why he did it. I think what he, I don't think he was used enough as a sacrificial lamb. To be honest. Oh really? Uh, That's yeah. Interesting. I think there's a couple of times when they should have. Um, uh, I can think of two on the top of my head. Germany, um, when they should have let Vettel through when he was on a different strategy, and Italy, when they should have had the qualifying. Ah, that, that was that was a mistake, and, and that might have turned. Um, I think that might have turned uh, Vettel's head actually. And let's talk about Vettel now because Vettel's uh, well, yeah, mental I mean, capacity I th- seemed to wane as the season went on, and he just seemed to lose any any self confidence and belief. I, in the um, preview. I actually listened to it about three weeks ago just because so I was trying to remember what the bets me and Sam had. By the way, I won one, he won one. Um, but um, I, sat, uh, I said something. I said, yeah, Fettel's a really great driver. Unfortunately, he's only a great driver 17 out of the 21 races. Yeah. And well, this year it was, was only wrong. about 15. It was about 15, yes, yeah. exactly. And, and that is the problem. He's at Belgium. I'm, my God, that was brilliant. It was just perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Australia, perfect. Uh, Bahrain, brilliant. You know, absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. You're a four-time world champion. Fantastic. Then other races, he looks like a bloke who should be kicked out of a, of a charity karting event. You know, it's... How it's, many years he got his contract at Ferrari? Uh, definitely next. I think two more, I think. Definitely next year. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the one more off. I think one, the, yeah, this one, the next one currently. But, you know, and, and he was just awful in times. And he, yeah, he didn't win a race from, from Belgium. He didn't win another one after that. No. Um, Never he, looked like it either. I mean, obviously. Yeah, and he, he made so many, not just the major mistakes, but so many micro mistakes and things, in, you know, in qualifying. Japan, Jap- the reason he was so far on the ground in Japan is because he got the qualifying wrong. Um, and that's why he had the accident. You know, and he's sitting there going, oh, come on. You know, where is your... And he's in a situation now where he is actually belittling his previous achievements and people are literally going, my God, that Red Bull was good. And as I'm saying, my God, Mark Webber was rubbish. Yeah. Because that, I mean, it's probably not true because it's five years ago he'd been a different driver but because he is so prone to making mistakes. Last three races so- of the season when he was getting interviewed, uh, wherever he finished, but if he was, you know, if he was a podium finisher at the end of the race, he started to talk about things in the past tense. I would not be surprised and you, he, I, I'll, I, the, the howls of disapproval uh, will, will follow what I'm about to say. I think if he doesn't have a good year next year, he's finished. I think he will that walk depends away. How well, depends how well Leclerc goes. Well, I think Leclerc will demolish him next year. If he's allowed to. And I oh, think that will oh, be oh, it. No, no, no. This is the point. There is no, there is no rule they would love him to demolish him. Well, I think if he's allowed to, he'll demolish him next year and Vettel will walk away from the sport. He won't go to another team. 
Um, and I think Raikkonen will be back at Ferrari the year oh, after. That's very interesting. That won't happen, but it's very interesting. Um, so I think Raikkonen, and this is what I said I was going to talk about when we got to Ferrari, mm. I think Raikkonen will love going to Sauber Alfa Romeo. Um, sorry, Sauber Ferrari with the Alfa Romeo crest. I think his teammate there is exactly the right person that he needs to push him forward, Giovinazzi. And I think those two will be... I think that'll be a very interesting team next year. I think we'll see a renaissance of Raikkonen and that if Vettel does get demolished by Leclerc and decides to walk away, I think Raikkonen goes back to Ferrari. Interesting. Because I, I, I don't, I don't think they'll put... I don't think they'll put Giovinazzi and Leclerc together at Ferrari um, the the following year. So that we're talking now already about twenty twenty. They could always get uh, <coughs> Fernando back. Um, but yeah, I think. I oh think yes, I'd forgotten how, about that. Is interesting to see how Le, how Leclerc goes. I think it's going to be you know difficult. For, I, I, for, I for just worry. I, I just worry for, for Fettel and his mental state because he did look. He, he's you know he's an elder statesman of Formula One now. And my God, I never thought I would say that a few years ago. I wonder if we'll be saying that about Verstappen in four years, five years' time. <laughs> I, I don't know. But you know, I, I always looked, uh, and again, I'll put my hand up to this. There were times when I looked at Vettel with the same, the same sort of disdain that I look at, uh, at, at Verstappen now. I thought he was a brat. I thought he was, you know, a bit throwing the toys out the plant pran when it didn't go his way. I still don't think Vettel can drive a car that isn't exactly the way that he wants it. All right, not exactly the way, but 90% the way he wants it. And that's, you know, that's part of the team. That's partly him. That's partly feedback. Who knows what goes on behind closed motorhome doors. But he's a, he's, Vettel, like it or not, is one of the elder statesmen. He said some very sensible things down through the years. Uh, shocked me when Hulkenberg won Le Mans and at the following race, which I think was Russia, um, that he said, you know, what have you been doing since the break? Well, I've done this, that and the other. Uh, what did you think of Nico Hulkenberg? Yeah, well, you know, he went out and raced while we were all doing PR stuff and he's won Le Mans, world's greatest race. It makes us all look good. And you know, that's not words I thought I would hear Sebastian Vettel say. But I just get a feeling, Nick, that He's losing his appetite for it. The end of the season couldn't come quick enough for him. I think I think Sebastian is probably the sort of guy you'd be very happy to go down the pub with and have a chat with. I think he's a very sensible, intelligent bloke. He's witty. He's got a British sense of humour, which is always great for us being British. And he's probably, you know, an excellent afternoon company. His ability to drive an F1 car at the very pinnacle and lead an incredibly political team like Ferrari has True. to be questioned. True. And... I think, you know, there is a... It's not Alan perhaps, Prost, is he? No, uh, and I think he, he's, he's been... You know, there's a lot of people saying he was trying, he was taking the weight of the team on his shoulders. You know, we can't... You know, it, I, I don't think we've had a major difference in the overall result of the championship if Sergio Marchioni hadn't so sadly passed away. I still think Mercedes would have won because I think they they unlocked the car towards the back end of the season. I think it'd been closer. And I think there would be... Here's you know, a question, Nick. Mm-hmm. When he first went, when Vettel went to Ferrari, he had, mm-hmm. you know, a bit of a, a honeymoon period and, and mm-hmm. we knew what the situation was there. It was very much a rebuilding. The car wasn't great. You'll say that the Ferrari was the best overall package for the whole season. No, no, no. No, I would say, my, sorry, I'm, 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 what I would say is if you take 21 races, I think it was, 
either 11-10 or 10-11 between the two teams right, that we okay. this cup. So was that Sebastian Vettel? Was 2018 Sebastian's Vettel, uh, Sebastian Vettel's best opportunity to take a world championship for Ferrari? It'll be his easiest opportunity because next year Ferrari build a better, a better car. He's going to have a much more difficult team, mate. Right. But I think, I, I do Will feel... Will he look at it as the one that got away, though? Yes, because I tell you right now, and I, without fear nor favour, that Lewis would have won the World Championship in Ferrari. Right. I have no doubt of that, that Lewis would have won the World Championship That's in interesting. Ferrari. That's interesting. I, I'll be interested to see what the, the close season does to Sebastian's mindset, because I, I think he looked a broken man. Uh, and sounded a broken man at the end of the year. I the response depends on the first three races, John. I think if we, if, if as we expect, Claire comes on strong, picks up some of the momentum from inside Ferrari, which is a horrendously political team. I think you could see him crushed. However, if he comes out in the first three races and is able to uh, put uh, Leclerc in his place, then I think we'll find, we'll see the absolute result. We'll see a huge. If you think about it, you know how you know not... how a, a much a student of uh, non-verbal signals the responsible adult is. Oh gosh, yes, yes, yes. And she picked on up picked up on it earlier through the season, but by the last three four races, she said, uh, "What you know?" I, I was saying, "Come and listen to what um, Vettel's just said in the interview." And she said, "No mind. Listen, look at him. Look at his body language. Look at her, Look at that facial expression. Look at this facial expression." And I, I do think he needs to do a complete reset over the closed season and come back. We've seen, we have seen drivers do that. We have. We have. And I hope he does. Rosberg and people like that. And, and but he's got. You know, his problem he's now got is he's got not. He's now. You know, he he has to fight an internal battle for the first time yes. um, since the year after his championship run with Ricciardo, which he got a free pass on because he had a terrible car and he won the last four world championships. So you could see why he wasn't really that bothered. Yeah. So now he's got a, he's got a battle on. He's got to, he's got to win that internal battle first, and then look at the out with battles. That's uh, Ferrari then with Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel third and second in the drivers' championship. The champion team with the champion driver is our final stop uh, on our look back at the Formula One World Championship, uh, the FIA Formula One World Championship for 2018 with Nick Damon and me, John Hindhoff. Valtteri Bottas for Mercedes-Benz. The the team, by the way, 655 points, uh, 571 for Ferrari, 419 for Red Bull, the rest just eating the scraps off the big boys' table, quite honestly. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, um, we've said this a lot, but a, a season of two halves there. I still have massive, massive question marks in my head about Valtteri Bottas because I know he's used, he is used as the sacrificial lamb. He does play the team game very, very well. But there have been times when I just think, Hang on a second. Where's he got that lap time from? Where's he? Why wasn't he doing that for the last five laps? Why isn't he pushing harder? Why didn't he defend harder there? I just, I am not sure that Valtteri is doing the job for which he is best fitted. I mean, being a Formula One driver, I'm not sure he cares enough about it. Is it? Is it the Scandinavian mentality here? No, he's just I, laid I, back. I think he seems laid back. I think, yeah, he started the season very well and was, and was slightly he's another, unlucky. He's another Kimmy in waiting if he's not careful, where Kimmy's like, uh, yeah, I can't be bothered. I'll play the number two. No, role. I, you know. I, I don't think that's true. I think I think Bottas got himself into a mental bind after, you know, he didn't quite know what his role was. And, he, and, and whilst you say he was a sporting driver, he was a sporting driver just because he wasn't going as quickly. And there were races yes. where he was quicker. He was out front and he was unlucky in Baku, for example. Um, you know, I think the back end of the season was very poor. Um, 
you know, I think he's probably 50 to 70 points below where Mercedes would have liked him to have been overall. 247 for him. Yeah, and... Outscored by two points by Mark Verstappen, outscored by four points over the season uh, for Kimi Raikkonen in that battle of the second drivers. So the the only second driver that he... uh, Although Verstappen, I suppose, is a... Well, you'd probably say he was a lead driver. So he did outscore Danny Rick, but his... Yeah, and he didn't win, of course, all season. They, uh, no, they say he should have won in, in Russia. But, yeah, it's just a very disappointing fade to the end. He actually started quite well, you know, yeah. and, and, and then it just faded away. And I think, again, it's another driver's going to go back and do a lot of thinking. Um, there are now drivers in the wings literally trying to bite his hand off for his drive. Um, he's going to need to do something special to get it through. I mean, but don't forget this this lack of politics, which has obviously also been very popular at Ferrari the last couple of years, has served um, Mercedes well as well over the last two seasons. So, what, in terms know, of the continuity? No, in terms of not having a number two driver who rocks the boat. Well, um, yes. You know, the, the, the Lewis-Nico wars did no one any good, as they now recognise. And it's only because they had such a big advantage they were able to take... Yeah, you know, they, they wouldn't... You know, last year, they wouldn't have won the World Championship with Lewis and Nico. Uh, this year, I think Lewis was so good that he probably would have been able to just put Nico in completely his place and forget about it. I'm pleased it. you've mentioned uh, 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 Nico Rosberg um, because before we talk about Lewis Hamilton, I want to have a quick word about uh, Nico Rosberg. Do you get the feeling he's hankering to be back? No, he's hankering to be recognised for how marvellous he is. Uh. Uh, because he constantly talks about how you beat Lewis Hamilton and he did it by being this, that and the other. He... There are no asterisks in the record books. So in 30 years' time, when people are doing our job for the 2048 season, we'll talk about World Championship Nico Rosberg, and they won't remember what happened. But he won his World Championship through reliability. He had a much better run of reliability than Lewis did. He also did a couple of questionable things, and hopefully one day someone will write a book and they'll come out. But he won, and that's (laughs) fine. His legacy will be there. Which, by that comment, you clearly know what they were. Yeah, well, some I'm of which it. we've talked about and some of which we haven't. Yeah. There's one I'm not, one I haven't had confirmed, which is uh, I'd be really interested to find out whether that actually happened or not. I'm not going to say in time that it's been confirmed. Right. Um, but um, there is a, a situation where you know he 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 is now doing the self publicity thing. You know, if he wants to drive, he could get a drive in two seconds in Formula E or something else. But he's now trying to do the international businessman thing again. He's a very intelligent guy, multilingual, and and, and great and good luck to him. Hmm. But. Every time he turns around and goes, this is how you beat Lewis, we go, what, you blow his engine up? Because that's the only way you managed to beat him. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> And he was very, yeah, he was close to him. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it, but he did lay waste to the team to do it, yes. effectively. Yes. And the team effect. And, and yeah, the, harmoni- the, harmon- the, harmonious- the harmoniousness of the Mercedes team is why they're able to fix these problems. They well, and the adva- you mentioned it. I think that was a very good point. You said the advantage that they had with the current set of regulations, particularly the engine advantage that they had had, was um, many other teams would have been broken. I mean, you might look back at the uh, Fernando and Lewis wars at McLaren to say that was the start of the decline because mm, people not- have to pick sides. And and th- and those things don't get swept under under the carpet when the next set of drivers come in. It's mm. it's very very uh, those relationships within a team are very key, very key indeed. Let's move on to uh, the the kid from the slums of uh, oh, yeah, of yeah. Stevenage about no, the I'm only not, mistake I, I he made I, all year. That he literally connect, corrected it within half I know, a sentence. I know. Anyway, but let's let it I know, I know. I was, um, I was saying that just to prove how still, I talked about Sainzy being divisive. Um, Hamilton still, um, for me, 
my driver of the year this year in anything, and you know that I'm not a Lewis fan nor an apologist for him, mm-hmm. um, but I think he was as good out of the car as he was in the car for the majority of the town time this year. He still divides opinion, uh, and, uh, you know, sad to say, but I am going to say it, I think there's still racial overtones there uh, as well yeah, I agree. In, in that, and that's an uncomfortable thing for me to say as a motorsport mm-hmm. fan, but I, I do believe that's true. Um, he, I think you said something earlier on, actually, which I, I, I'll, I'll put to you again and, and let you develop that. You know, we talk about people going into fuel save mode in, uh, in endurance racing. And, mm-hmm. and any driver will always tell you, well, if you're going to do that, you've got to do that from the moment you pull out of the pit lane. You can't decide halfway through your 45-minute stint or your hour stint that you're going to feel safe because you're not going to get the full benefit. You've got to do it from the start of the se- from the start of the stint. You said you thought Lewis was thinking championship pretty much from the start of the season, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. What we saw was a considered Lewis this year, a Lewis that didn't need to make those Verstappen-esque moves to make those, oh, I'll get another two points if I go here, uh, but I might end up in a gravel. Those that was a different thought process that we saw from Lewis. He, I've said many times before, I think one of the few people who can honestly beat Lewis is Lewis. He kept mm-hmm. that side of his psyche in check this year. I think it's a banner year. I think it was one of his better championship seasons on every single level in the car, out the car, managing the team, managing his resources, and managing himself. Um, yeah, I think it's it's hard to really heap enough praise upon him for this season it begins begins to sound sycophantic but i think this was the best season i've seen by a racing driver certainly since schumacher um really and and i and and i can't think of a race in which schumacher was particularly heavily season which he was particularly heavy perhaps four or five but what he did um and the competition he came up against Yes, he had a very, very good car, but it wasn't always there with the multiple brain capacity you need to run through these tyre fuel combinations. And also the way he was able to put people in their place with spe- you know, with, with, with selective brilliance. Yes. Um, you know, the argument, I think the argument people... Are I don't think I've seen a last... better qualified lap than Singapore, by the way. No, no, no again, again, and, you know, that was otherworldly. Yeah, five or six years ago, everyone was arguing was the best driver in F one this generation of F one. Was it was it uh, was it Alonso or was it Vettel? Then say was it Alonso? Was it Vettel? Or was it Hamilton? Then then everyone realised Vettel was just a flash in the pan. So is it is it Alonso? And I think you you, you have to say from what he's done the last couple of years, he is the best driver. I of would this love generation. to have seen Alonso in a more competitive car with Lewis at at this level of his. Of his career, I though, just, I just think that that Hamilton's got him because he's a better qualifier, um, and you can't. I'm trying. Let's let's talk about. We've we've said something about about Alonso. Alonso may well become will become one of the all time greats. I'm sure he'll get the triple crown. I'm sure he'll yes, make that happen. I agree. Whichever way you count but the crit- what we said crown. is if we said is that the great thing about having Alonso in your team, even for McLaren, is he will. Nine times out of ten, that car, if it finishes seventh, that was the best it could do. Yeah. Probably better than the best it could do. This year, can you think of any race in the 21 races where Lewis didn't get the best possible result? Uh, no. He didn't win every race. Things no. went wrong. But he ended up, at the end of it, with the best possible result. Yeah. 
he didn't get, you know, it, it, you know it, it, issues that happened and incidents that happened, but then he recovered and he put it well, through. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd put it in a slightly different way. I think that that he got the best possible result for the championship, for his championship, not necessarily in that race. I, I no, yeah. Which, which yeah. goes back to your point that you made earlier, which I absolutely agree with. He was thinking much, much bigger picture than the next corner, the next breaking area, the next overtake, the end of this race. He was thinking much, much bigger picture all the time this year. He didn't stress the equipment. If he didn't think he could chase somebody down, he didn't stress the equipment. He, you know, yeah. and, and that's part of the game now, whether you like it or not in Formula One. And I thought we saw just a, a little... It wasn't a paradigm shift. It was a tiny shift, but it was a tiny but important and significant shift in how Lewis plans how, out how he goes motor racing and how he processes what's going on around him. He had one or two flashes of a little bit of a wobble here and there, it, but that was much more with him again and his psyche rather than in the car. Yeah, I think the last the last major wobble he had was way back in China, and that's you know round three. Yeah, so you run eighteen races past, and you, you, if you look at you, know, you look at you know, the, the run from France onwards, one it broke down when he had been leading. Yes, Britain was punted off by somebody and still came second. Germany won, Hungary won, that was, great, that was a great driver. Singapore won, Russia won, Japan won, USA third best he could achieve with the strange situation with the tyres. Mexico had problems again with tyres, came fourth, won one. You know the only thing I'll say that is in any way negative about Hamilton this year, he's still a bit whingy on the radio. Well, well, we hear yeah, I, we hear him yeah, being with you on the radio. This, oh, no, I can't. Yeah, this is the story. This is the, this is the this is the plot. I mean, this is this well. Is the point about it is Great Britain is was the perfect um, uh, example, though, Nick, because you know, oh, I can't drive this car. This is hopeless. I've got floor damage. No, you haven't. You're fine. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. The other thing is, I think that bond that he's got between himself and his race engineer Bono, um, hmm. I, I I think that is. This, when the story of, of this season is properly written, and possibly the next couple of seasons, the sort of psychological handling that's mm. going on backwards and forwards, yeah. and we don't always hear it, which is your point, and I agree. But this this is like this is Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson like this this is him this you know this is Lena uh, and H talking to Christensen and the other Audi boys. This is that kind of synergy that is going on. And I think that's made a difference this year. I really, really do. I think, yeah, I think the, the, the I, I'm not a great, I'm a great fan of radio messages. I'm not a great fan of the way they put together. And, great. In, in, to, but anyway, the thing I would say about that is I think, you know, it, I don't, is it whingy or is it just asking for information in a direct format? Because you're on a radio yeah, at true. 110 miles true. an hour, at 200 decibels. Could you please uh, a high peak? Could you possibly tell me what's happening behind? What's the tyres they're on? Or why am I third? Sounds really aggressive, but it's a. I need to know why I'm third, and I yes. have eleven yeah. other it's buttons. Fa- to no, press. no, no. It's it's fine. That, that is a fair. And, and I'm sure at the end of the race, like any curt conversation you have with a colleague or a relation, it's forgotten uh, uh, amongst uh, what the result was. No, that is absolutely right. There's no doubt about that because you, you can see that and hear that in other things that you do sometimes here. All right, I'm going to ask Nick for his uh, race of the year, uh, team of the year and car of the year. Actually, we might throw a performance of the year in there and that could be a whole season performance or it could be a single uh, performance. Uh, I think some of those are going to be easier uh, than uh, others. Uh, 2018 Formula 1 race of the year. Uh, Jean. 
Azerbaijan. Yeah, had a bit of everything. It had, had everything and then more so. Yeah. Um, let's talk team of the year. Uh, Mercedes. It was an exceptional team performance, wasn't it? The, the really whole was. team, Bricksworth as well, the whole lot of them had to work against difficult circumstances. Well, not 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 in the scheme of the world of suffering in the world, but difficult circumstances in the no, no. sporting world. I know, I know. It's not, yeah, it's not like they're fighting world hunger. Um, right. Driver of the year? Uh, Lewis. That's by, so it's like Lewis, and then you go back probably about 70% to the next one. Which would be who? Second best. Yeah. I actually, at the end of the day, I probably toss up between Leclerc and... and um, Verstappen, actually. Mm. Okay. Um, and performance of the year. Now, that can be Lewis's whole season performance, another driver's whole season performance, or a particular point in the year, race of the year. Who's, I who... only said F me once this year <laughs> right. uh, whilst watching something live. and that Which was... meant flipping heck, of course. Flipping heck. Yes. And that was the Singapore qualifying lap. Yeah which Lewis did. I know, um, I know Verstappen got within three tenths not far after, but it doesn't really matter. No one cares about second places. It was just unbelievable. No, but three tenths is an age in Formula One round oh, that yeah. track. Yeah. It, it, it really is. It, you know, and I think, I think that's one of the nice, one of the good things about, one of the nice, interesting about Lewis is, you know, for all his ups and downs and everything else, he always has that ability to do something that surprises you. And that was a track, of course, that McLaren, that uh, Mercedes aren't hopeless on, apparently. Um, uh, except yeah. they've won three out of the last four years there. Uh, <laughs> in 90 seconds, in fact, in a minute, um, okay. was it a good year for Formula One? Yes, it was a good year. Unfortunately, there were a lot of very, very good races. When we ran through the reason, we realised how many good races were. Correct. Unfortunately, the, the Fettel implosion took away the edge from the championship. Otherwise, it would have been, it could have been a classic, couldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was just somebody not losing their call away from being fantastic, even though he ended, up 80, he ended up about 85 points behind because he just imploded at the end and the team didn't help. But mostly Vettel. Nick Dearman is our Formula 1 correspondent for Midweek Motorsport. At 8 o'clock every Wednesday night. That's 8 o'clock UK time every Wednesday night throughout the season. And he'll be back uh, to look at the 2019 FAA Formula 1 World Championship in our preview. But plenty of coverage on Midweek Motorsport between now and the start of the F1 year. Thanks for being with us, Nick. And thank you all for joining us on this special programme on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels as we've been looking back at 2018's FIA Formula One World Championship. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.